Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I'm swinging through New York City traffic backwards and really worried a truck is going to hit me in the back of the head. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. Finally, the venerable Beef Patty gets its comic movie debut. And Jeff Kanata. Actually, this week, I am Jeff. To be continued. <laughs> Joining us also, he is the co-host of the amazing Spider Talk podcast, Dank of Austin. So are you guys like a money horse or a Dalmatian? <laughs> okay, welcome, welcome <laughs> Lots to the of show. holes over here, yeah. Welcome to the show, Dan Kvaz. And of course, we're really excited to have Dan on because today on the podcast, uh, those were all vague and oblique references to the fact that we are going to be reviewing Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on uh, Twitter and YouTube and Instagram at the Filmcast Pod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast, and you can support the show at Patreon.com/slash Film Podcast. As FYI, uh, both last week and this week, if you are uh, are or were a patron, uh, you are getting this episode significantly earlier than on the main feed. That's just one of the benefits we like to offer on occasion. But of course, you can always sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive afterdarks. They're on the Patreon. So thanks to everyone who supports us and makes this podcast possible. Today we've got a bunch of stuff to cover. Uh, we got some what we've been watching. we got some weekly plugs. But of course, we're going to start with uh, one little bit of film news that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and I want to say, before I mention this film news, what I'm about to say is going to contain spoilers for the post credit sequence of Fast 10. So we're, I'm not going to spoil what happens in Fast 10, but if you don't want to know what happens in the post credit sequence for Fast 10, uh, skip ahead. Now, what happens in the post credit <laughs> sequence for Fast 10, for those who don't know, don't know, is Dwayne The Rock Johnson made a shock appearance as the character of Hobbs, uh, somebody who's also being hunted by Jason Momoa's character in Fast 10. It was, it was actually kind of a cool scene, you know, Jason mm -hmm. Momoa doing his uh, arts and crafts PowerPoint presentation and uh, taunting Hobbs, and then you know Hobbs takes the mask off, and you realize, oh, it's it's uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, a, a person who we never thought would return to this franchise. Uh, so, in a recent Instagram post, Dwayne the Rock Johnson posted the following: "Hope you've got your thunderwear on. Hobbs is back. Luke Hobbs will be returning to the Fast and Furious franchise. Your reactions around the world to Hobbs' return in Fast Ten have blown us away." The next Fast and Furious film, you'll see the legendary lawman in will be the Hobbs movie that will serve as a fresh new chapter and set up for Fast 10 Part 2. Last summer, Vin Diesel and I put all the past be uh, behind us. We'll lead with brotherhood and resolve and always take care of the franchise, characters, and fans that we love. End quote. Fans, all caps there. So a couple of amazing things about this. First of all, the phrase uh -huh. Fast 10 Part 2 is really, if, if not a sign of the end times, I don't know what is, right? I mean, it, everything <laughs> um, is right now, yeah. <laughs> but uh, also, yeah, Hobbs is back, and I think it's hilarious that uh, he is going to be in a standalone film. It's uh -huh. like, Vin Diesel and I put all this behind us, but by the way, we're probably never going to yeah. be on the Will same Dom scene. Will Dom be in this movie? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we're no. never going to be in the same scene together or on the set <laughs> at the same time, simultaneously. Um but yeah, uh, Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, that's a movie that I feel like you know, you know, I bring up Hobbs and Shaw because that was kind of a standalone, not you know, like separate from the mainline Fast franchise. 
uh, movie, and I feel like we all thought it was okay. Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, no, Is not that- me. Oh, you, you, you're not, <laughs> I hated it. You were not a fan. Why? Not, why do not you, a fan what, whatsoever. What were your feelings as you recall them on on Hobbs and Shaw? I feel like my my thing about Hobbs and Shaw. First of all, not the family, not part of the family <laughs> at all. Very distinctly, mm-hmm. and I hated the action. I remember all this distinctly too. Like I hated the action. It all felt too fluffy. And Idris Elba is basically a superhero. It's like that's too oh, yeah, much. I remember that. I, he had I, he was much. like he was like invincible dude. Yeah, of some kind, it right? is yeah. weird how they went with. You know, superpowers in that Super one. Nanotech, Jeff. Yeah, I He's know. All nanotech. My, my least favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. Dang how Bob, much do you? How yeah. much do you think this was influenced by the failure of Black Adam to completely <laughs> change the DC yeah, totally. universe? Yeah. yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. It is absolutely him going. I need a hit. Daddy needs a hit. <laughs> Vindy, um, sorry, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson is going to divide his life into pre-Black Adam and post-Black Adam. Unfortunately, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, humbling experiences are good yes, for people, I think. Yes, yes. And and what... Uh, he definitely seems humbled. Mm. He definitely seems humbled by, the by you know, <laughs> going fans first with a new Hobbs entry. But, uh, yeah, I I am... I'm just really curious, like, how big the check was here and what this movie's even going to be because it's supposed to be a, a, a lead-up to Fast 10. Now, you know, extremely minor spoiler for Fast 10, but that movie ends in media res. Like, it ends on a cliffhanger. As so many things seem to be doing, yes. Right, yeah. as so many things seem to So it's like, what what is this? Is this movie going to be like a side quill where, like... I, I you, think you what know? I hope for, mm-hmm. Dave. Yes, what is that, Jeff Canada? Concurrent movie. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't mm-hmm. that be cool? Like what? Yeah. What Hobbs is what up Hobbs to? Hobbs was doing during the events of Fast Ten. Yeah. Right? Yeah, or yeah. Like I would love it. I'd love it to also feature Jason Jason Momoa. Wouldn't it be cool if this is like what Momoa is also up to? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like a rad. Jason Jason Bourne ultimatum type thing where it's like there was a yes. whole other movie that took yep. place yeah. between, you know, in the last scene of that movie or whatever, you know. So That'd be rad, right? Yeah. Here's I, what I, I want. I want it to be Back to the Future Part Two, where <laughs> he's like dancing between the raindrops of all the actions of Fast X. And he was there the whole time. You just oh, yeah, totally. he was always totally. hiding I mean, behind something. You did know? you see Fast Ten? I didn't, but I would okay, go well, see that. The- the first scene of Fast 10 is that. <laughs> oh, okay. Fast For a different Fast movie. For a different thing. <laughs> Just do it again. But also, like, every every convenient thing that happens to the family is is all Hobbs, actually. It's Hobbs, like, deflecting <laughs> yeah. the car, making sure nobody gets hurt. Like, yeah. He's High sitting in the crane. As well. Yes. Yes, he's sitting so in the crane. It's so awesome to just have a movie where he undermines everything that Dom did. <laughs> it was really him who did it the whole time. That'd be so like, rad. Like, like Dom is, you know, fighting a helicopter, and it was it was Hobbs that was helping him the whole time. <laughs> it was like he's the wind between beneath his yeah. wings. <laughs> that would be incredible. That would be incredible. But uh yeah, I I'm just really curious how they're gonna do this and we'll see how it plays out. But I'm also really curious whether we're gonna see The Rock and Vin Diesel on screen at the same time because notoriously they can't stand each other yeah. and won't appear on screen. If it's time, a standalone so. movie, they they don't have to do yeah, this at all. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's exactly, a very yeah. convenient way to, to is, avoid that. It is very funny that the promise of the post-credit sequence is the sequel to this movie will feature Dwayne the Rock Johnson and his tweet is like, nope, nope, that's not happening. <laughs> not gonna be a sequel. Not be a <laughs> no, sequel. I'm not. In, I'm not in that movie. Nope, yeah. nope, nope. I'm in my side, own movie. Side movie. Side movie. Uh, as I have, you know, felt the Fast Ten uh, chatter percolate in the last couple of weeks, gents. Um, there is one weird thing that continues to stick in my mind, right? Like, 
again, extremely minor spoiler, but there is a scene in Fast 10. This is I'm changing the topic now. There's a scene in Fast 10 where Han eats a cupcake, I think, and then <laughs> goes like on an acid trip. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, remember that? Yep, yep. He, and it's just never referenced again. Like, and I, I've been trying, that scene is haunting me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have any residual memory of Fast 10 other than why was there a scene where Tyrese Gibson threw sand in someone's face and then uh, Han ate a cupcake laced with acid? You know, does anyone else think about these things? Or is it just me? It's you. It's just, just me. But you guys know what I'm talking about, though, right? Like, you guys I remember that scene? I have a hard time yeah, remembering yeah, yeah. that moment, yeah. to be frank with you. It was the whole thing. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, something got it, cut it out. It was just it like this, like. Ra- yeah, it's just this random scene out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then it, fe- it feels like there was a whole other. Oh, that's subplot. right. It's a joke where he's like, oh, that's right. It's the scene with. Um, with uh, Pete, um, Davidson. Pete, Pete Davidson. Davidson. Yes. He's like, don't eat that cupcake. And then he eats that cupcake. And it's all ha ha ha. Yeah, and it's never remarked upon ever again. For yeah. Wait, Pete Davidson is in that movie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. What Sorry isn't he in? Jeez. What is he? And actually, there is an episode of Bupkiss, which kind of like leads up to him being in a Fast and Furious movie. They even do like a Fast and Furious chase. So it's funny. Oh. It's funny. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, anyway, uh, that's a thing I wanted to mention because uh, we like to follow the Fast Saga here on it, the It's all the drama. The soap yeah. opera of the Fast stuff behind the scenes. It's great. Indeed, indeed. All right, well, that is uh, some of the film news that's been going on this week. All right, uh, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. Jeff Kanata, let's start with you. You've seen something I am highly interested in, and I want to hear what you think about it. Oh, yeah? I didn't know you were highly interested in this. I went to see uh, a movie called You Hurt My Feelings. Um, I would like to point out, I find it hilarious, that my What You've Been Watching list goes like this. You hurt my feelings. I think you should leave. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely anyway, done, Jeff. I just uh, thought that was there you go. There you go. Um, anyway, there you we'll go. start with uh, You Hurt My Feelings, uh, which is a movie that was uh, highly recommended to me uh, in that, by, by those who know that I enjoy movies uh, where people sit around talking to each other. And uh, this very much is that. This is from writer-director uh, Nicole Holof Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, it stars, uh, you know, one of my favorite people in the world, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, and this is definitely my kind of movie. It's small, it's quiet, it's not even really about something that big. <laughs> it's just a little, it's the kind of movie that doesn't end up in movie theaters anymore. Uh, they very rarely even make these movies, and when they do, they're usually streaming movies, not a movie that I went to the movie theater to see it now. And and they usually have either an A24 or a Sony Pictures Classics uh, logo in front of them, typically. Indeed. Um, does this one? I think it does. It does. It's A24. Yeah, A24. Uh, I will say this. I was the only one in my movie th- theater <laughs> watching this movie. <laughs> kind of made me sad. Uh, we almost went to go see this this week. We were like, we almost made it, but couldn't make the scheduling work. But it was something I, I really wanted to check out. Yeah, the entire theater to myself, uh, which is you know, it's just cool, but also made me sad for this movie because I'm I'm assuming it's not doing great. But these are the kinds of movies that people don't go to the movie theater to see anymore. Sadly, uh, I enjoyed it very much. It's called You Hurt My Feelings. Here's the premise: it, This is a movie about uh, two people that are married, and they actually have a really healthy, lovely marriage. They have a 23-year-old son. Uh, they're sort of, you know, fully into middle age. And they have a really wonderful marriage. 
that's already something you don't see very often in movies. People in the in you know middle age, uh, and they're maybe I would say fifties, early fifties, that have a healthy relationship. Uh, and then what happens is uh, Julia Louis Julia Louis Dreyfus, uh, her character is a writer. And uh, she has been working on a follow-up to her memoir, uh, which this time will be a fictional novel. Uh, and she's trying to get it published. And she overhears her husband telling their friend that he does not like it. And he had told her many, 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 many times that he did like it. Uh, and that one small little thing becomes, uh, you know, the, the premise for you hurt my feelings. She's, she can't handle the fact that he has not been honest with her. And from his perspective, it's, uh, you know, a, a kind of textbook white lie of like, Hey, I, I told you, I like it because I want to encourage you. I, I love you. And I want you to be anyway, small little things, small little movie, small little stakes, you know, and in fact, at one point, one character says, or I think Julie Louis-Dreyfus says uh, in the in the movie, like, I know that the world is falling apart and this isn't what I should be worried about, but it is. Um, and I love that this movie is just okay dealing with these small people. And ultimately, here's why I love this movie. And Dave, you know that I love this topic. It's about <laughs> failure. It's a movie uh, about failure. And there aren't very many of those. Uh, this is a movie about people coming to terms with the fact that they're not very good at the thing they want to be good at. And I loved it. There is another character um, who is uh, played by an actor that's in succession. What is his name? Um, uh, Arian Moyed? Uh, Moyed? Uh, yeah, he, he plays he, Stewie, right? Yeah, Stewie in um, succession, who I always thought was like young hip, super cool, like cooler than everybody else, you know, and, but like super young. And, and he, in this one, he plays like a contemporary of, of these other characters and he's totally disheveled and, uh, you know, out of control in his life. And I was like, oh man, what really cool to see this actor doing mm -hmm. something completely different. Yeah. He's um, like a kind of super hip badass in, in succession. You know, yeah. yeah. In this, he's like a schlub who can't get his life together. You know, he's like kind of, mm -hmm. he plays an actor in New York. Uh, who uh, gets fired from a job and like everybody. And then um, uh, Michaela Watkins plays uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus' sister, who is a, a designer. And she is like coming up, uh, her clients like don't like her. And uh, Tob Tobias Menzies, who plays uh, the husband in this situation, he's a psychiatrist who like finds out all his patients hate him. Like everybody in this movie realizes they're kind of not good at what they think they're good at. Hmm. And it's just a, a concept I've never seen explored before like this. And I loved it. I mean, ultimately it's a movie, so it comes to a kind of, you know, happy ending, but, um, and I kind of wish it hadn't, you know, I wish it had been okay living in that uncomfortability. Uh, but I really enjoyed this kind of analysis. And again, it's just people talking. It's really nothing much happens. It's people, you know, in cafes talking to each other, sitting on the edge of beds, talking to each other. There's a lot of scenes in the psychiatrist's office with some fun, you know, cameo people being the patients that the psychiatrist is talking to, including David Cross and Zach Cherry, um, you know, actors you love seeing pop up and stuff. 
Uh, and it's just a delightful, delightful experience. I, um, you know, it's not going to change the world. It's probably not going to be in my top 10 of the year, but it's a movie I'm really glad I went to see. And I'm really glad people are making these kinds of movies. You Hurt My Feelings is what it's called. Cool. And that is available right now in theaters as we speak. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more of what we've been watching right after this. Hey, got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Double Fine's Psycho Odyssey. I am so excited to tell you about this one because this one, it really sits at the intersection of two of my greatest loves. And that is video games, particularly great video games, video games that are beloved to me and hundreds of thousands of others. And... Documentaries, great documentaries. This is a documentary series that looks at the making of Psychonauts 2, a sequel that was many years in coming, a sequel that uh, people like me, fans of the original Psychonauts, were clamoring for, and a sequel that Double Fine finally made and, and uh, let me just say knocked out of the park. It's a game I loved. I talked about on my video game podcast DLC when it came out. And this is a behind the scenes, full access look at what it took to make Psychonauts 2. The first episode looks back and contextualizes all of it. Looks back on Psychonauts 1 and how that game came to be. A, a game that was very unorthodox at the time, took a lot of willpower and energy from a fledgling small startup studio called Double Fine to make. And Tim Schafer, Tim Schafer, one of the great personalities in all of video games, one of my favorite people in all of video games, a hilarious, brilliant, very talented individual who's responsible for some of the great video games of all time, Full Throttle. I mean, the list goes on and on. He started Double Fine. They made Psychonauts as their first game, and it... It's an amazing story. Just that in and of itself in episode one, episode one, the color of the sky in your world uh, talks about that. Looks back, has some really great archival footage of that time. It's just amazing. And then second episode gets into the creation of Psychonauts 2. If you are curious at all about how video games are made, how great video games are made, the process, the the blood, sweat, and tears that go into it. You have got to check this out. And it's free. It's on YouTube. You can watch the entire series for free with no ads right now in 4K and with real captions made by a human by going to doublefine.com slash filmcast to start your psycho odyssey. I can't recommend it higher. It's a phenomenal series. Check it out. Dang of Austin. Let's talk about what you've been watching this week. What have you been watching, Dave Austin? Dave, um, I have to talk about Ted Lasso season three, which mm -hmm. came to an end this week. Um, this is a show that, like, is a kind of in our house at least a quintessential like Dan and his wife watch a, a show together um, show. And I don't know that I would have watched the show uh, all the way through without that scenario being the kind of propulsion uh, behind it. Every episode of Ted Lasso, I feel like I start going, I don't like this show. And then by the end of it, I go, all right, it won me over. Mm -hmm. um, there's just something like good spirited about it that like you can't help but kind of get caught up in. But season three, I don't think I've ever experienced a show 
that made me so reconsider my feelings about the previous seasons of the show as much as Ted Lasso season three. It It is a baffling season of television. Um, I think in the past I had kind of enjoyed that Ted Lasso zigged when you thought it would zag. And I don't mean like plot twist, just that like it would introduce conflict and immediately deflate it because it was trying to create kind of like a less toxic, you know, television viewing experience. I don't know if that's, if I could say that after watching season three, if that is as intentional as I have (laughs) given to the show in the past, season three is a mess. It has no idea what it wants to do, what it's interested in. It will like introduce plot points that seem like something you're going to be dealing with for the whole season only to just abandon them two episodes later on a whim. Uh, it, it will int- it like introduces magic as like a core part of like uh, plot motivation for a character. Th- the show has like completely lost vision of what it was to begin with. And uh, I really like, I, I feel like I should like break it down episode by episode on a different show because I'm just so just just bewildered. It's kind of fascinating what happened. Yeah, to this yeah. Thing. yeah. I I know yeah. other people have written about it. Devinder, you've watched it. Did I've you have the it, same yeah. experience? I mean, it was a baffling season. Um, I liked it at the beginning. Like it, it is I, I will say this up front. I overall um like the season. I think the finale does a great job of kind of wrapping things up and putting these characters in a place where uh everybody's been saying, like, is this the end of Ted Lasso? Question mark. And I think even the series itself isn't sure of that, but I am sure we are days or weeks away from Apple being like, hey, spinoff series coming, you know, with with just the people uh, yeah, at Richmond w- w- or something. So we should be clear, right, that like th- this is this has been in the news, right, yep. and uh, of what has gone on. So, you know, like this is I'm revealing stuff that is already public, but it, it is about the, the ending of Ted Lasso season three that Jason Sudeikis has. It's It's been clear that he is not going to be involved with the show mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. as an actor anymore. Right. So. Uh, Ted Lasso himself will not be in the show. It's possible the show will continue with a different easily, name or with yeah, different characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the but Apple and also the show's creators have been uh, surprisingly vague about whether any of that's happening or not. It's very confusing. Um, like there's a, yeah, there, there's just so much in limbo for the season. But I will say, I think you you can kind of feel the sort of like creative tension, the sort of the creative like um, uneasiness throughout the season because yeah, plot lines go all over the place. I, I hear that they had to basically re-break the season and rewrite uh, parts of it, you know, it after feels a certain like point. It. Yeah, yeah, it feels like that. Um, and there are some episodes that just feel like, oh, we're just we're just hanging out with these people. But I think the season and the finale definitely reminds me, like, I do like hanging out with these people, you know? So even if we're in the middle of a plot line or something that isn't really going anywhere, this is it still remains like a very sweet, chill hangout show that I enjoy uh, being around. I enjoy seeing these people and the overall heart of the show is still there. Um, but the deafness of season one, which I think was very tightly written, had some really interesting character arcs and was just much better written than what we got this season. Um, we, we are just so far away from that. I still like it, though, is the thing. Like, I, w- I will gladly sit here and watch more Richmond stuff um, because there's so much heart to it. Like, there's such a specific vibe. It still makes me laugh, even when I am, um, you know, baffled by some of the storytelling decisions. I think it's also clear that uh, Bill Lawrence was spending more time on shrinking this year rather than this show too. Um, and Shrinking is very good. 
you could kind of feel like his vibes there as well. And also, well, my, they, my they, understanding yeah. is he left the show. Oh, did he leave the show? That's, fully that's well. my yeah. That's my that, understanding. I think you yeah. can kind of feel that because I yeah. think Bill yeah, Lawrence he is, he is a seasoned veteran of seasoned veteran. So, yeah. He is. Uh, I'll be talking more about him in a bit, but like everything he touches, I think is gold, and I tend to watch all of his shows. So I think you feel the lack of his presence. Um, so many things like I, I think the stories we've been hearing about Jason Sudeikis too is that you know Ted Lasso is a character that's missing his son while he's working in the UK and to you know to make the show Jason Sudeikis has to be away from his kids to do this and it's a hard so I can imagine it's all there's a lot of stress going on in the season you can feel all of it yeah and the the, the good vibes are what keep me around like I I like yeah, these yeah. characters they are very defined and uh, you know seeing them interact with each other is really fun but like you can you can see the show really like getting high on its own supply. You know, it 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 ballooned from mm-hmm. half hour episodes to hour long episodes to that, nearly 90 you know, minute episodes. Honestly, yeah, yeah. And, and that cover, you know, this entire cast of characters. And it's not to say that we don't like them, but they don't really quite know what to do with them. Like they break up the like leading couple of the show off screen in between seasons and don't really ever justify that choice other than that it might give them some drama like they like have all just all these strange subplots and 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 additional romances that never go anywhere it's just deeply strange season of television um you know and again the vibes carry it through like mm-hmm. th- these are people we like to spend time with um but like i i, I felt like that was like pushed to my like my limit here with this season of ted lasso I should be clear, by the way, uh, I, I think Bill Lawrence is still involved with the show, but he stepped down as showrunner yeah. for the third he season. He still has a so. producer credit yeah, and everything. Yeah, like, so, yeah. yeah. But um, uh, but he has given interviews stating that he he is no longer kind of the creative driving force. But uh, yeah, I've heard uh, the third season has been very controversial. And um, I think uh, both of the main viewpoints are represented here between Dan Gavassan and Divinger Hardware. But yeah, Ted Lasso has just wrapped up its third season on Apple TV+. Plus, uh, and maybe... There'll be more. We'll see. I think also the writer's strike, right, has made it uh, so it's more complicated for people to talk about. So, uh, but that's something that Dan Gavazdan and Devinder have been watching. I want to mention something I've been watching on Max, not on HBO Max. And by the way, it was kind of it's kind of a bummer to to try and find this show. I have to put that out there. Like, you go to Max, I have to click over to the HBO tab, and then. And the carousel, I need to like move over to the carousel to find this movie. Uh, as opposed to like, if it was just, you know, HBO, it would probably be one of their big releases. Um, but the movie is called Reality and it stars Sidney Sweeney. Have you guys ever heard about this movie? Are you guys familiar with the saga of Reality Winner? I've heard about it and Sidney Sweeney's, you know, yeah, work in this, yeah. Uh, this is a really interesting movie and it's a movie that... Jeff, I think you in particular, like, here's the thing. I don't think I know any, like, there's very few people I know that would actually enjoy this movie. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's a really people interesting with movie. Terrible taste. Jeff, no, no, no. That brings they're me all to here. <laughs> they're all right here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but okay, okay. So, so uh, what happened with Reality Winner? In uh, June of 2017, an NSA contractor named Reality Winner, mm-hmm. uh, was arrested for leaking a single classified document to a publication online called The Intercept. And 
eventually she went to jail for many years, several years, uh, received like a, a fairly long sentence for this, this kind of crime. Uh, she, th- this was leaking a single document mm-hmm. uh, compared to Edward Snowden, who leaked tens of thousands of documents, right? So this is not like she was not, she explicitly has said she was not trying to be Edward Snowden or anything like that. What this movie reality does, apparently it's based off of a stage play. Huh. Is it takes the when when reality winner was arrested by FBI agents. Yeah. One of the FBI agents had a digital tape recorder on him and recorded the entire interaction. Like arriving at her house, you know, telling her that they have a search warrant for her, you know, t- talking through her, like interrogating her, all this. They they digitally recorded that entire thing. And the stage play is literally just a recreation of that transcript. Because the, the whole the whole thing is wild too. Like her story, there was a documentary about this a couple of years ago that I reviewed in Gadget, and uh, yeah, the FBI just kind of like really screwed her over, I guess, in the in these negotiations, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I I don't it know. If feels, I, it, it feels weird. Yeah, it, it's, well, it sounds it's, it's really weird. It certainly has a very ominous yeah. um, tone. The movie has a very ominous tone to it because. Uh, and, and and really, what, in my opinion, what the movie the movie is about a few things, right? One of them is just uh, how frightening state power is when it's brought to bear on a single individual. Like it's just it's just a scary thing when just scary when yeah. like fifteen people show up at your house and are like, we're going to search everything. Like also just, the failure of journalism too, because I believe what it came down to was uh, the Intercept basically revealed her identity. Yeah, the the, the Intercept. So uh, the Intercept basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's they got, right, guys. They got this doc. They got this document from Reality Winner, and w- they were like, "Okay, well, we got to verify whether or not this is true." And apparently, one of them showed the document to someone at the NSA to verify that it was true. And God. showing the document in, and apparently, one of the key factors was the fact that the document was a physical paper that was folded, and like that was like that was like a critical component of the case. Uh, against reality winner uh, but it's a it's basically like it, it's less a movie and more performance art more like an acting experiment jeff Kanata, this feels like an experiment that they yeah. might do in like an acting class right i, like, I would probably want to watch this too because like her thing she leaked documents about russian election interviews yes. too and that's it, that's the key not, not, not even like documents to be a document a document <laughs> yes. I, keep, I keep saying and so you know one of the things is like yeah how how kind of frightening state power can be brought to bear you know it's all these like huge dudes lumbering around this uh, woman's house. Uh, and it's just this one woman who's kind of like mm-hmm. left to fend for herself. And um, this is Trump's government at that point too. Right, so it was all, it's all like very, very right. chilling. And she was yeah. trying to do something that she, she was trying to inform the American public about something that she thought was very relevant, which is Russian interference in the 2016 election. Uh, and Congress people and lawmakers and industry people would end up quoting stuff from the documents that she did. And theoretically um you, you know like in in many people's opinion she did something good for uh the national discourse and informing the american public about election yeah. interference like I ma- think many, this is like legitimate whistleblowing you know right. ma- yeah. many people would say that this is a thing this is a valuable thing that she provided and she was sent to jail for it and uh, her life kind of blown up for it and that's uh that's upsetting. And it's kind of the process that you see witness in this movie reality on max slash HBO. Um, that's the process you witness. The movie takes place almost entirely in real time. Uh, and you're just watching this uh, search warrant 
unfold and how weird it is. Like, it's just a weird thing where these dudes show up at her house and they're like, Hey, we're going to search your house. And, and then they're talking about her dogs and like all the dialogue is like, they didn't cut anything out. It's like, they didn't cut anything out except for the parts that were redacted for national security purposes. And the, the way they show that is actually really cool. Like they, they, she kind of blinks out of existence when she kind of, um, when they, she's, she's like, I leaked the documents to, and then she like the character literally flashes out of existence to indicate that it's uh, redacted. That's and cool. the, the movie really wants you to know that they're using the transcript. Exactly. Like it will cut to literally the physical transcript on screen. It will cut to a wave file of the, of like the recording, mm. you know, like it wants you to know this is exactly how it took place. Did you enjoy um, it? I think I've like enjoy is a strong word. You know, you're watching basically a search warrant being served for mm. an hour. I think that's it's fascinating. 80, it's, it's 80 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it is fascinating. It's a fascinating exercise. Have uh, you ever, and, are you aware of the project that Harry Shearer did several years ago now, many no. years ago now, uh, Tell me about it. where he, uh, <laughs> laboriously painstakingly many, many, many hours performed the Nixon tapes. Like literally no, took the Nixon tapes, yeah, yeah. did a Nixon voice, did all the other characters. He does all the characters and with voices and he literally just hours and hours and hours of the Nixon tapes. He just re-performs and yeah. it's fascinating. I, I listened to a lot of it and I'm like, what is, what was the, what was the point? Because he's, he's literally <laughs> right. trying to create as close to the actual tapes you can listen to yeah as possible but he's doing it it's so weird it's like it, it well, reminds me of this well what i love about something like that and something like this movie of reality is that by performing it by shooting it by you know having actors reenact it and everything you as the viewer can extract your own meaning from yeah. this really rote you know fairly rote sequence of events it's not like like you know an explosion happens or some something ha- you know some nothing major happens during the inter- it's just like this is a they serve they serve a search warrant they interrogate this person that's that's the whole movie and um but by watching it play out in, in a film you can have your own interpretation of like what this means it can be about state power it can be about how um, we as a society failed reality winner. It can be about how we prosecute the wrong people. It can be just about what, how powerful the surveillance apparatus, you know, like there's all these kinds of things you can read into it. Um, so I think it's a rich text and I think it's worth checking out and it's a weird movie and I, it's barely a movie, you know, it's, it, I don't even know if I would call it a mm. movie. It's just a, it's like a, this is a reenactment. It's like a, it's like well, a, it's, interesting that exercise. Yeah. it's called reality and it is just a dramatization of reality. Yeah. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I think it's worth checking. It's it, Jeff. I at the, at the very least, I think you should watch like ten minutes and be like, "Huh, like this is a cool idea." Like, a cool concept, how is Sydney you know? Sweeney, by the way? Because I'm always great. fascinated by. her. I think she's yeah. great. So Sydney Sweeney obviously rose to fame in Euphoria, and what I love is this is a really different role than the one she plays in Euphoria. Like, it's very challenging um, because you can imagine that during the course of this event, her demeanor changes significantly. And so you're watching all these emotions play out on her face and it, it, the camera's often in like ultra close up on her face. And it's a really challenging role. And I think she does great in it. So uh, for that reason alone, I think it's also worth recommending. Yeah, she's she's great. And I love seeing like an actor who becomes famous for one thing, challenging themselves, like doing another thing. I think it's very praiseworthy. So um, yeah, a lot, lot of good things to recommend reality. 
Uh, especially if you you read up on the the saga of Reality Winner mm-hmm. when it was in the news a few years ago, I think it's uh, this is where we're checking this out. Yeah, I don't know, is, check out that documentary. I'm not yeah, sure. Where I don't know if it's going to add to if you yeah. already know about it from the documentary. I don't. Know. Do you remember what the documentary was called? Uh, the United States versus Reality. Oh, Winner. Oh, United States versus Reality Winner. Yeah. So you like that one? That was good. I thought it was fine. Um, if I I read the story, so I kind of knew what it yeah. was going into it. But seeing her family, like it, this is a harrowing thing yeah. that she has gone through. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the movie does bring that out. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's reality. It's on Max streaming right now. Devinder Hardwar, sure. Hit us up with something you've been watching. Well, speaking of Bill Lawrence, and soon to be speaking of Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, <laughs> um, I've been checking out the new season of Clone High, which is back, baby. So so wild to see this show, which was a big hit in the what was it early two thousands. Um, it is back twenty years later. That show ended on a cliffhanger, and uh, this season three, I've been watching the first few episodes, directly uh, follows up on it. The original series was about, you know, a scientist who uh, cloned some historical figures, including Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi, Cleopatra, uh, JFK, and put them in high school together. It was very much a, um, you know, satire of 90s and early 2000s high school comedies and dramas and stuff like that. I love that show. It was a lot of fun. Um, this new series, it is it is just wild to see them going back to these characters and bringing it back because, hey, we're 20 years later now. What high school is, is something entirely different than what we saw in all those 90s movies. And the very first episode, like even directly confronts us too, because it involves thawing off all the uh, original characters, most of them anyway. Um, I think the casting wisely has been changed up quite a bit to be more culturally appropriate. Gandhi, the character, not there anymore. Gandhi was voiced by a white guy. And also, I think, like, yeah, some people had issues with having, like, a revered figure like him in, like, a jokey role like that. So Gandhi's not here at all. We kind of make fun of that early on. Um, But most of the main characters are back, especially uh, Will Forte as Abe Lincoln. And they are very much in the 90s mode of high school and humor. And they are confronted by a new class of people, including Harriet Tubman and uh, Frida Kahlo and uh, what Confucius is here, too. And these people are more like voiced by an Asian person. Yes, hopefully (laughs) they're all voiced culturally appropriate. Ayo Dabiri does Harriet Tubman. Vicky Martinez does Frida Kahlo. Um, Even Cleopatra, I believe, was uh, recast to somebody else whose name I don't have in front of me right now. Um, but yeah, it used to be Krista Miller as Cleopatra. Not true anymore. So I think that move is good. And also it features these new uh, new clones who are very much like um, Gen Z high schoolers. So they are more culturally aware. They're more aware of like, you know, how to be inclusive. Like the first episode is all about inclusivity uh, festival or something. Like it's about getting all these characters in. Um, it's really funny. I think it's really funny, especially for anybody who lived through uh, high school of the 90s and kind of seeing how much culture has changed. In fact, there is a like clockwork orange sequence where uh, the principal just like, okay, I'm going to dump 20 years of culture on you right now. And that whole thing is just uh, just kind of kind of funny. So I'm really enjoying Clone High. I think it's much smarter uh, than it was before. I always like to see like casting reflect uh, the ethnicity of characters because that is what we should be doing in uh, especially in cartoons. Like it's not that hard. Um, I think all that stuff is really good. It's really funny, and I do like uh, the main joke of the first episode is basically Abe Lincoln keeps getting um, keeps getting canceled because he's he is making '90s jokes. He is calling things he doesn't like like something that may be dumb. He calls it gay 
and the entire school is just shocked about it. And every the thing, the, him just talking like the way he did before is instantly getting him canceled. And there is fun. There is fun to that. And there's character growth to that. I think it's all really, really good. So check out Clone High, especially if you liked Into the Spider-Verse. If you want more of the sweetness that was in Ted Lasso and Bill Lawrence's other shows too, uh, a lot of the Scrubs cast did the original voice uh, work here. I think some of them will be probably be coming back to this new season. So yeah, Clone High, real good. It's on Max right now. All right. And that is one thing Devendra has been watching. Let's take a break for another sponsor. We'll be back with more of what we've been watching right after this. Jeff Kanata, you, along with, I think, all of us, watched something on Netflix this week, right? Yes, it's I Think You Should Leave Season 2. Huge fan of I Think You Should Leave uh, the Season 1. And we talked about that when it was on. Um, well, see, Season 3 just debuted, right? So that's... Uh, wasn't it Season 2? There's only two no, seasons. Three. No, this, this is three. This is season three. Yep. This is, is it really? Yep. yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, season three. Yeah. Uh, the, the new season. The new season. Yeah. <laughs> Man. You just lost. You lost time just now. Time is the, a flat circle. You lost time one is... year of your life, yeah. or two you, years. You were frozen and yeah. re reawakened, Jeff. That's because it's happened. been two yeah. years between seasons of I think you should leave. Yes. You know? So. Well, thank goodness it's back. Uh, Tim Robinson and Zach Kanan uh, are the creators of this sketch comedy show. Uh, that's very shouty. Uh, I like it. I like it. It's very, it's very funny. It makes me laugh. The thing I think I've mentioned every single time we've talked about this, which I guess is twice before now, uh, because it's season three, not two, is I love how the sketches in this show are structured in that mm -hmm. I've never really seen a sketch comedy show do the thing they do, which is that the joke, the premise of the joke changes inside the sketch. So mm, it'll start yeah, yeah, with yeah, it's yeah. it'll start with a premise that is very funny. And then while we're exploring that premise, the actual premise of the joke will change. Mm, yeah. And I'll I'll explain uh, I'll give you a, a concrete example of that because it's kind of hard. I think in the past I've just kind of talked about it generally, but I, I will do it specifically. There is a sketch in season three. Where uh, that's a very funny premise where uh, Tim Robinson plays a, a guy who has is attending a uh, a live taping of a sitcom and he's in the audience of a sitcom and he is told, hey, you got to laugh loud as part of the audience, the live studio audience of the sitcom, because uh, millions of people are going to hear your voice. And so he takes that and he decides that he's going to laugh loud. But then in the silences, he's going to say things that he wants millions of people to hear. <laughs> which is a very funny premise. That is, that's a sketch, right? That's a sketch. But because it's, I think you should leave, that's just the first premise of the sketch because it then becomes about the thing he is saying, which is that he's got these gripes about specific businesses that he feels have wronged him. And he wants millions of people know to know that he should not, you should not do those businesses. And then it becomes the people at the taping curious about what, what his actual experience was with those companies that he's complaining about. Then it's not over. It then becomes, we've heard these ridiculous things he's been saying about what happened to him at the, this limo company. And then it becomes a recreation of, we, the sketch becomes a sketch of the things he said. So we see it actually play out in real. So it's actually three sketches in one. 
And almost <laughs> every sketch in I Think You Should Leave works like that. Yeah. Where it it's starts, so dense because yes, of that. It starts yeah. with one premise and it morphs. It, it keeps going and it becomes about the thing we were saying in the first premise, but that premise is abandoned and now we're in a new joke. And that is so bizarre and bold and interesting to me. Uh, I've never seen a sketch comedy show do that before. And I think it's it's pretty amazing. And I am just laughing my patoot off uh, constantly during I Think You Should Leave. It's quotable. My friends and I text each other uh, stuff about, you know, the show. And I and it's the, the episodes are very short. They're like 15 minutes, 13 minutes. And so I basically watched all of season three in one sitting. I just watched it back to back to back, laughed my butt off, texted jokes to my friends throughout. And I will be watching it over and over again because it's one of those shows where, you know, it's 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 ideas, memes, for lack of a better mm -hmm. term, that stick in your head. And I, you know, we've been quoting, I think you should leave previous seasons ever since they aired as well. So this is top tier comedy, in my opinion, top tier sketch comedy. And it's ridiculous. It's absurd, but it's very funny. Yeah, I, I think the show wins the award for comedy per minute, you know, <laughs> just like the sheer density of it. And what I everything you say is true, Jeff. And what I really love, too, is how it sort of it is an absurdist show, you know, it goes into really wacky territory often. And it often ends in Tim Robinson, you know, just screaming and going crazy. But <laughs> I think what is what is essential about it is that he strikes at the heart of the insanity of our modern lives. And I think that's what is often so compelling. The the one from last season got too much shit on me just applies to so many things like and I find that to be true with all of these sketches too and even even simple things sort of like the, there's one about the you know pay it forward thing if you pay for oh, somebody's so thing at, tar at Starbucks so it's just a simple idea of like it's a simple idea of like huh that's a nice thing but then it gets into that's a little weird right it's a little presumptuous and I feel like if this was the 90s you know Seinfeld would be like you know What's the deal with paying it back at a at a, at a Starbucks, right? Uh, it's a little presumptuous that I'm going to want to pay for the person behind me. That's it. End of the bit. Except in this show, it's like, no, that is part of the bit. But also, let's lean on the accelerator and like, what is the deal? Like, here's a crazy deal. Here, here's like a thing you could do. Um, I, I think it's just kind of fascinating to see. Like, to me, it feels like an evolution of comedy too from a lot of things we're used to. So yeah, still loving it. Still good. You Ned guys Boston? made such no. good. Yeah, go ahead. You guys made such good points that I got out my cell phone, and I've been on that the whole time. Uh, no, <laughs> but um, uh, I, uh, I've really loved the show. I've seen half of it, so I'm, I'm still getting caught up on the, the you know, it's really short. So yeah, I've been using it as a great like you know, in between my other things that I'm doing to take a little bit of a break and and laugh my ass off. Um, to me, this show is kind of like I every other sketch comedy show forgot to be weird. And all of that weirdness just found its way to this show. And like, I, I just think like, this is the kind of weird energy we used to get at SNL. Whereas now they kind of, they have mm. one joke and they just kill it. Like, I, I think it's more like Conan, like Conan level of like too, weirdness yeah. and absurdity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if SNL was ever this weird, yes. but like, I feel like that show with like at the prime of its cast in like the early nineties and mid nineties, it like it could get into some of these things and be weird. Mm -hmm. And now they just don't have that energy anymore. Everything is a commentary on the news or whatever. And this is not doesn't. I mean, yes, it does strike at the heart of truths about our modern world. 
but it's not interested in being like yes. relevant or anything mm-hmm. like that. And so it, the comedy is very universal and will be think something I'm quoting maybe till the day that I die, you know? Um, I mean, the cell phone bit is, 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 I mentioned is so funny. Like I, I could see like uh, our news programs devolving into uh, you know, where someone gets into a debate and the other person decides I'm out of this debate. I'm taking my cell phone out, which is, I think the first skit of the whole season. Um, and I don't know there is a real please, truth please in this. sketch. I think is the, the sorry terminology. sketch. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm Jeff was ready to jump down my throat there, but um, <laughs> I'm already on my cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the core of, I think you should leave the show and the title is social awkwardness. Um, it's what happens when someone does something that's out of the ordinary or when they, they strain against kind of these social contracts that we've all unspokenly made with each other. And as somebody who does that myself quite a bit unintentionally, I relate with the show greatly. And so I, <laughs> I, I really like the show as well. I, I, I think um, it's, it's a show that like has been memed endlessly online. Like the hot dog car crash, you know, has been like, I've seen that meme literally probably at this point. That, that is the state of our society right now. Mm. That is yeah. all the people who spent billions of dollars building AI. And now they're like, oh, guys, <laughs> I think the AI is going to kill us all. Who, who, who could be responsible for it? Where can we find this person? Everything. There's, there's any time a show can, it's like the, this is fine dog, you know, with the dog mm-hmm. on fire, like the house on fire. I should say, you know, it's like any time um, something like a comic, a movie or a TV show can capture Something essential about American life like that, it's special, mm-hmm. and you should check it out. Um, so I join you guys in, in fully endorsing I Think You Should Leave Season 3. Um, I don't I, you know, I, I don't know that I love these sketches as much as the first couple seasons, but um, you know, I think the, it, a show like this, it takes time. Like Those sketches take time to get out into the world. Like It takes time for them to imprint themselves on people, so I'll be curious, Like, what are the characters we're going to be referring to Two years from now, from I think you should leave season three. You know, oh my and I, think God. I already will. have yeah. so many of them, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I am like, what what is the sloppy stakes of this season? Yeah, what is yeah. the sloppy stakes of this season? That's right. It does. It looks like dog ears. Is is mm. is one already? <laughs> and uh, cloth is just tiny hairs. Cloth is just <laughs> tiny hairs. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, Indeed, dude, come on. That's I think you should leave season three. It's available right now on Netflix. And Devendra, last uh, what we've been watching entry, I think uh, you had a chance to check out something Jeff rec- recommended last week, right? I did. Uh, I have been watching Platonic on Apple TV Plus, and uh, just wanted to say everything you were saying is true, Jeff. Uh, this show is very, very sweet, and um, I-, I think I like being in it. I like the vibes of it. Um, it's a nice, comforting comedy, which can be a little raunchy and silly at times. But also, what I find really funny is that um, it doesn't always try to make everybody likable. In a way, like I think mm. Seth Rogen's character, who's like, you know, um, the character, he's just had a divorce and his friend is trying to like reconnect with him because they used to be good friends. And Rose Byrne is the friend and she is very good and they have a great chemistry together. He is kind of an ass, like is the thing. Like I, I think at least ba- I've seen like half the season so far, so I haven't fully finished it. But the stuff he reveals about himself and what happened with his relationship and, you know, if you were friends with this guy, you'd be like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry, but you're being a dum-dum, you know, and I'll support you. He's not like he's not like a complete raging misogynistic asshole, but he's not like just being totally wronged in that relationship. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting, too. Like, OK, he's kind of a dum-dum, 
but you love him anyway because he's Seth Rogen. So yeah, the show is very good. It's very funny. And I think it does strike to uh, speak to like a lot of the way modern relationships work or things work when you're when you're older and when you basically only hang out with other families is the thing and other married couples and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, that's platonic. It's available right now on Apple TV Plus, and that is what we've been watching this week. Let's do a few weekly plugs. We're gonna do weekly plugs. Weekly plugs. I always have to make sure I don't step <laughs> on those wait. last plugs. Step later. on yourself there. Um, yeah. Weekly plugs is part of the show where we plug something else we've been making. Dan Vossen, I'm excited about your weekly plug. Tell us about it. Yeah. So every time a new Spider-Man movie comes out, um, I'm I'm over at the Hollywood Reporter writing up an Easter eggs article, and uh, they they kind of just tend to be these incredibly lengthy pieces where I just unspool all of my otherwise useless accumulated Spider-Man knowledge, which has somehow like found its way into not ruining like family dinners, you know, uh, like I, I, I actually, there's a point to it now. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I, I, you know, I got to see this movie early at the premiere and, uh, you know, I brought my notepad with me and was feverishly writing in the dark. And now I, I actually literally took a break from writing this article to do this show now and we'll be returning to writing it because it, there's over a hundred things that I found in the movie to write about. Yeah. I was going to say it takes time. This movie feels like the, the new high challenge bar for Dan Gavazdan's Easter egg article. This feels like, Oh, we see your Easter egg article. Yeah. We made, raise it was you made to break him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we will. Yeah, break it, was, him. it was genetically designed to make sure you don't survive this article. <laughs> there are moments in the movie where like four spider people will like lean in from out of frame and their names pop up on screen. And there's just no way but, but that like, I could but like see. For a second. For like yeah, a second. Yeah. 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 For like there, a there's, second. There, there's no way that I could write them all down. Like in that moment. You <laughs> well, know, there's or also remember them. Several shots of literally like maybe a hundred spider people yeah. on the screen. And I was yeah. like, Oh Dan, Oh Dan, <laughs> you're going to have to freeze frame this bad boy. Yeah. The, yeah. the only way I survived that is that a lot of those shots were in the trailers. So I've been, mm-hmm. yeah. I've been kind of pre gaming, so to speak, nice. uh, the, nice. the trailers, but um, you know, there's also like fake uh, characters that show up. Sure. Like, mm, yeah. There's a character that shows up uh, like that's named Malala. And I'm like, that's not a character that I'm aware of, you know? Um, And like, as much as I scour the internet, I've not found any evidence of that. And now I'm like, they're throwing me off the scent. Like, you know, like, what, what are you doing here? Um, So anyway, I just assumed that was a Malala Yousafzai. That's what I thought too. But I was like, was that adapted? You know, like that's, I mean, does that count as an Easter egg? I, I, I don't really know. I mean, what counts as an Easter egg anymore? The whole movie is built on the structure of these things. So really it ends up being less even really about Easter eggs more than it is like a guide to who the, what the, how the, you know, this all fits together. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun to kind of do these every once in a while. Um, you know, when, when these movies come out and yes, this is the greatest challenge that I've had (laughs) 
to my ability. Um, you know, I saw the movie Tuesday night and I was like, I'm going to get started on it when I get home. No, I was exhausted. The movie is, is, it was a lot for me. It was physically taxing. Cause you're right. You're writing <laughs> yes, stuff. Down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> writing stuff down the whole time. Um, it's like, and, uh, it's for, for Dan, it's like wa- watching a Wikipedia entry to recount it from memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like, like it's, it's, not it's even... like watching the Super Bowl basically. And like describe every play. Dan, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly like, after right. You get, after you stop watching it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not even really like the article that like, I mean, like, look, I love these articles and I put my like heart into them and they're, I think they're funny and, and interesting. Uh, but it's not like even really the piece I'd want to write, you know, necessarily like there's a lot of things to talk about in this movie, but like, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in for it. Like it is, it is a marathon. And so I started writing it Wednesday morning. It is now Friday at 11 AM Pacific time. I have not stopped writing it. (laughs) And my deadline is like midday Saturday. So I'm like, I think I've got about like 40 more things to write about before before that day and I hope I'm going to make it. So you really want people to, to go back this to this podcast along, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess, I, you know, I'm enjoying talking to you guys. This is <laughs> this is my mental break, so to speak. But um I have read multiple of these articles from Dan and they are truly a delight. Like incredible. you have to They're you incredible. have to check yeah. these out. Uh, it's basically Dan writing for the Hollywood Reporter, talking about the Easter eggs in Spider-Man movies. I'm so excited for this one to come out so I can read it. So looking forward to it, Dan. Well, the good news, Dan, yeah. is this is the last one you'll ever have to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, there, there, there was like, a, like Chris Miller tweeted. He's like, yeah, there's a lot of Spider people we held off from this movie for beyond. <laughs> and I was like, thank you for sparing me. You know, like, <laughs> um, I mean, it's so funny because I, I said to my editor, I said, um, you know, should I like recount some of the Easter eggs from the previous movie? Like, cause like, if you've not read that past article, like some of these are going to sound like absolute nonsense. And he's like, I'm not going to make you do that. Like, we'll just link to the other article, you know? Um, cause it's like, I, there's almost a sort of language I have to establish writing this, which is like, I'm going to get to talking about some obscure things. So I'm going to pepper in the origins of those things into earlier entries so that you even know how to decipher <laughs> what I'm saying. Wow. You know? You're, you're basically producing it's, it's its own work. Dan is what you're making. Yeah. 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 It is a it, work unto itself. So yeah, it's yeah. a, it's its own, um, you know, uh, uh, uh what, what do I want to say? The, yeah. uh, uh, Rose, um, Rosetta stone, Rosetta stone. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love it though. It's like, sometimes you work. So it's like a, a piece of cultural analysis, Mm-hmm. becomes so in depth that it becomes its own piece of culture. I'm not necessarily saying that's true I, I, of this article I haven't read yet, but I'm just saying like I've seen that happen a few times. You know, so. I, I mean, I definitely think they're throwing stuff in there. They must have seen my articles, you know. Um, <laughs> so like, I mean, maybe that's like uh, really like narcissistic of me, but it's like it definitely no, gets them. It definitely gets them in yeah, attention. The, why, why would they? Why yeah. would they put it in there unless they wanted someone to notice? Right. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. check out Dan's article at the Hollywood Reporter. It'll be out uh, probably by the time you're listening to this. All right. I have a weekly plug. Uh, this week in streaming, a new podcast on the Decoding TV feed. Uh, recently, I discussed Silo episodes one through five. Nice. Also had, also had Dan Gavazin on recently to talk about Mrs. Davis. You can check those out at podcast.decodingtv.com. Yeah, Devinder, you're still keeping up with Silo, I assume, right? I, I, so. I've seen pretty much, yeah, most of it. At most this of point. the season, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's real good, like yeah. good sci-fi. Inter- interesting stuff. Yeah, interesting stuff. Devinder, hit us up with some of your weekly plugs. I'm curious sure. about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Over at Engadget, I spent the past uh, week and a half playing Street Fighter Six. 
It's really good. Is, Jeff, it, I didn't is, know is, is the single player experience so worth diving into? Yeah. I mean, like, it is. Is it just is welcoming a, to people who aren't good at fighting uh, games such as that myself? That is exactly what this game is made for. So uh, go my, read my review. Jeff, have you played it at all? I have. Yeah. You, you don't agree with that assessment? I'm not a fan, but I mm. know that I am the outlier in this case. Mm. Yeah, I, know, I don't know what's really going on. Because, yeah, everyone's like, yay, Street Fighter's back, baby. Yeah. And uh, I, I, as somebody who grew up on Street Fighter 2, I spent the entire pretty much 90s playing that with my brother and my friends. Uh, locally so i love street fighter i have missed street fighter the last one i just didn't spend much time with because they barely they didn't even have an arcade mode at launch so now street fighter 6 is here it has an arcade mode has a great like fun yakuza-esque single player mode it's just fun it's just uh, you want to walk around the street and like punch somebody in the face like hey have a have, let's have a fight you can fight hot dog vendors you can fight anybody it's great um, I think it's a lot of fun. I love Street Fighter in general. So uh, yeah, check out my review in Gadget. Also, we did a preview of the Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, which is starting next week uh, over at the Engadget podcast. And we talk about the mixed reality headset everybody's waiting for. And I actually just published a piece over at Engadget too, uh, analyzing that thing. So I will be there in person. I'm going to try on this headset. So stay tuned to my socials and stuff for stories. You, I, Devendra, you have no idea how how influential you are going to you are going to decide whether i retain Jeff, you, you 3000 of I can my tell dollars you don't, don't buy this thing no 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 but we'll oh, see oh okay guys guys i wanted to talk about this in an after dark uh-huh. but what i'm just going to bring it up now okay uh-huh. because I, I i wanted to bring it up last week but here we go we're we're putting an after dark topic into the main episode which is i saw a video recently that is is uh, has incepted into my brain it's basically a get rich slow scheme Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, it, I've been working video, on that my whole life. Uh, a video of MKBHD purchasing an original iPhone, mm-hmm. like Gen One classic, Gen one, yeah, the original. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have any guesses how much it. an original iPhone cost? I don't Devindra, know, but if you I have saw one it, in my closet right now. Okay. Well, if you, Devendra, if you've already seen it, don't guess. I'm not like, going to say anything. How, how many? How much money does a, a factory sealed original iPhone cost? How much? Is like in the package and everything. In the package, mm-hmm. never brand been new. Open. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Probably uh, quite a lot. Just guess. Just throw it in number. $10,000. $10,000. Dan Gavazin, any guesses? Let's say twelve. I think it was $40,000. Yes. Wow. Yikes. It was, was around the amount. And so I realized, hey, if this Apple announces these glasses, right? Next, This will be the first gen. <laughs> if I buy these glasses <laughs> and keep them in my closet for 15 years. Yeah. 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 It will eventually be, and assuming AR, you know, mixed reality becomes a huge thing. This this will be worth forty thousand dollars in fifteen years. You know what? So what do you guys think? What do you guys Spend think? Spend three thousand dollars on Apple stock, and I bet it will. What do you guys think of my? Okay, so yes, it's, I it's mean, certainly a plan. Dave, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of all of the plans I've ever had, this is one of them. This As is someone one of them. who has literally thousands of comic books in mint condition in boxes. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> multiple copies of of certain issues because i mm-hmm. thought it was an investment i will uh-huh. say bad idea jeans bad bad idea jeans i, I mean I as don't somebody know about who that, has Jeff. yeah <laughs> given the way the market is right now yeah you may actually be uh you know, Jeff, you're sitting on a, a gold mine right now i'm Jeff. sitting on a mine that's what get I'm them appraised uh, <laughs> you're sitting on a mine of some kind. I, I bought a copy of amazing <laughs> spider-man number one eight years ago and it's now worth 700 percent more than i paid for it so mm, to crazy. whom to what? According to what? Uh, uh, to to marketers on eBay. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I, uh, I I'm jaded because I I bought into that in the '90s. You know, I was I was that kid in the bubble like that had been collecting comics since I was born yeah. and thought, oh my gosh, now is the time to really get. And I just think 
you know, I, I would read comic buyer's guide, you know, I would, I would keep up with the, the state of what, what stuff is worth. And it's just, it's, it's all, I don't know, I guess eBay is, is a better actual determiner because yep. people are paying that, but right, you can see what's actually sells. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. true. But I, I guess you guys, you guys really aren't being very supportive of my get rich slow plan. I'm kind <laughs> of, I'm with kind you, of disappointed. David. <laughs> That's more money than I can save in 15 years as a high school teacher. So I mean, you could, if you bought it, you could probably resell it within a year to mm -hmm. to a considerable profit too. So all right, we'll, we'll we'll find it's not out. A bad idea. We'll find out. But Th we will thank talk you, Devendra. Thank yeah. you. But I'm looking forward to seeing Devendra's coverage of WWDC next week. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm mentally preparing myself. It's going to be or not next week, Monday. like this week Monday. by the time you're Monday. listening to this. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jeff Kanawa. Your weekly plug. I need Devinder to tell me to buy it. That's I don't like that you already positioned to say no, no, don't no, buy no. it. No, 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 no. I need you to be my enabler. Huh. <laughs> There's no universal right there. It's quest three, five hundred dollars. It's coming. Yeah. Uh anyway, my uh my weekly plug is uh that it's it's we're almost to Father's Day, everybody. And what better present for a father than a three thousand dollar VR headset? <laughs> <laughs> it just takes uh how many fathers uh you know by is, is your wife listening to this episode i or hope something? so i'm talking really loud so in the other room she can <laughs> hear me no um what a better much more reasonable much less expensive and i would argue probably will deliver much more joy it's a limerick. That's right, a limerick. You can purchase a limerick for your loved one for Father's Day or for any occasion. They're great for birthdays. They're great for Tuesdays. Whatever the occasion. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata gets you a bespoke, handmade, handcrafted, hand-delivered limerick written and performed by yours truly. That's right. The titular Jeff Kanata at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, spelled with two N's and one T. Check out over 120 five-star reviews of people who are satisfied, happy, and uh, and you know, they're just uh, loving their limericks. Check it out. All right, of course, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast, I can do that. Uh, tune into the After Darks. Uh, last week, we discussed the series finales of Barry and Succession right here on the Filmcast After Dark. Um, huge thanks to all of our patrons for making this show possible. Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. You know, in the past, during this segment, I have said uh, a free way to support us is by leaving a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That does, in fact, help. But I feel like I'm really running into the diminishing returns of uh, you know people actually doing that. So I'm going to say something even easier than those things, which is uh, follow us on one of our video platforms, youtube.com slash at the filmcast pod, instagram.com slash the filmcast pod. Just follow us on uh, Instagram or the YouTubes. That would really help us out as well. We'd really, really appreciate that. And uh, it, it is a, a way of supporting this podcast and giving us a little bit more visibility. So the takeaway though, is that Dave has given up on you listeners yes, and absolutely. he's lowering <laughs> his expectations. Uh, lowered expectations. Do you remember it, mad TV? Uh, there was this fake, dating video dating sketch <laughs> called lowered yes. expectations yep uh, that the, there was a there, it's like back in the 80s or 90s you would submit like a videotape of yourself to these dating services and mad tv had this sketch series uh, of people like who submitted those tapes and it was called lowered expectations and i remember the theme until this day it was lowered expectations <laughs> <laughs> it's a good philosophy for life yeah <laughs> That's it? That's the whole thing? 
I liked the. Uh, very hard to a, remember. That is a deep cut, guys. <laughs> deep. Is, I thought that deep... was going to be, you know, some other lyrics, but no, no, you got the that's... melody right. <laughs> that is a deep. That is a cut, deep cut to the bone on that one. <laughs> it's like can a Jack Handy. Yeah. Pockets one next. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, All right, that's weekly play. Go okay. ahead, Jeff. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My name is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. And things are going great. Oh, yeah. You were supposed to be here at five. All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow. I'm just going to stop that trailer and say, I said the wrong title, guys. It's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Good job. You had one job. Here's the trailer again. My name (laughs) is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. And things are going great. Oh, yeah. You were supposed to be here at five. All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow. Whatever? So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> it's not funny. Don't, don't do that. Miles' grades are pretty good. A in AP Physics. That's my little man. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles. Are you trying to Mira, that's why I'm going He's lying to you, and I think you know it. Welcome to the film cast review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Joining us today is Dan Gvozdan from the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie, uh, which debatably has a, you know minor spoilers, but it's the premise of the movie. But here is a plot summary from the internet. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy... Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters a team of Spider-People charged with protecting its very existence. Thank you, Austin. You are one of the internet's foremost Spider-ologists, uh, or Spider-Manologists, I should say. Uh, excuse me, I, I didn't mean to misspeak it's there. It's pronounced Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Manologist. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously, you have really strong opinions on Spider-Man. Why don't we start with what you thought about uh, the first Spider-Verse movie uh, and kind of what your expectations were for this one and how you enjoyed Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was on the show to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but I think my feelings on that movie have like solidified even more and and grown in, in many ways since we initially talked about it. Um, I... I to this day, revere it as like not only the greatest Spider-Man movie, I think it's the best superhero movie ever made. Wow. Um, something backed up by James Gunn, weirdly enough, um, in, in a, I think a GQ interview recently. Um, but uh, I love that movie. I think it understands Spider-Man, you know, uh, better than any piece of media has expressed outside of like maybe the original comics. Um, it, it's a beautiful movie that pushed American animation forward. And now you can, in the years since you've only seen the myriad of, I wouldn't say copycats, but like just the creative doors that have been blown open for a medium that I think was, uh, everybody was trying to copy Pixar. And now that, that has changed uh, wildly from this, I think a studio that nobody really, you know, the studio of the emoji movie, uh, well, you know. Dan, you could say that uh, Puss in Boots was an actual copycat. 
Yes. <laughs> yes, it I was. could. I could. I could. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, um, Jeff. Yeah. There are sequences in that movie that look exactly like they're animated out of the, into the Spider-Verse movie. Yeah, yeah Jeff, I'm, I'm here for your puns. I'm, Thank I'm you, Dan. I'm here for it. Fully How supported. How dare you, David? How dare you put your head in your hands? I didn't say yeah. anything. I, I had a headache just now. It was How dare you express that? It was coincidental. Like, like two black holes colliding. Like just, to have, <laughs> just to have Jeff being supported in this way. Thank you. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love that movie so much, and uh, to, I think even on this show, I said like it as a movie, and I know this sounds like an insane hyperbole, but it is what convinced me that I could become a father. And uh, my son turns one in, in less than two weeks, and um, I I know that I have the thematic ideas of that first movie uh, to not to credit entirely. Obviously, I made the choice. You know, but sometimes a piece of art can speak to you in a particular way that uh, can change your life. And in that instance, you know, uh, if people are watching the video version, I've got the big poster right behind me, like Into the Spider-Verse has become like an indelible part of my uh, life, Um, which is to say, like, that's a huge thing for any movie to live up to. You know. So did the second movie, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, alter your understanding of humanity and your place within it? Dave Are you Boston? giving <laughs> your child back? <laughs> That's it, yeah. Uh, good thing I kept the receipt. No, um, <laughs> uh, I really like Across the Spider-Verse. I think it pushes forward all of the things that like audiences loved about the first movie. The animation is better and more interesting and takes even bigger swings the characters are, you know, just as grounded and lovable. Like there are scenes in this movie that might as well just be like Jeff's favorite movies, two people sitting down and talking, you know, and, you know, countered with the most hyperactive all over the place visuals in the next scene, you know, um, it, it, it definitely, you know, maneuvers all, all of these things. It, you know, it, it, it is, it is, you know, a sequel to Spider-Verse. And it doesn't fall into a lot of the traps that sequels fall into um, in superhero movies and movies in general. Yes, there are some signs that executives like finally noticed that their company was making a Spider-Verse movie and wanted to like stick their little fingers in it a little bit, you know, um, in ways that I'm sure we'll talk about in the spoilers. But I don't think it damages the product in any way. Um, This is a, a... a movie with something to say. And I will definitely talk about that. I think the worst thing you could say about this movie is that it ends. And when it ended in my theater, uh, there was a loud gasp and people shouting, no. Um, and I <laughs> yep, don't even yep. think it's because of like a cliffhanger. It's just because people didn't want that to be the end. Now and that was mm-hmm. after two, nearly two and a half hours with this movie yeah. too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think you you could read that multiple different mm-hmm. ways. Like my biggest ding on this movie um, is that I don't feel like the ending feels like the end of a chapter mm-hmm. in a larger thing. It literally feels like half of a movie. Um, yeah. I think if you maybe rewound it fifteen minutes, there was a place to properly end it. But mm-hmm. where it ends, it's just like. It's just getting good. And I they're trying to make the comparison to Empire Strikes Back. But I think Empire Strikes Back ends with a solid character arc and a moment of reflection for those characters as they look out onto that, like the rest of the galaxy. And, um, you know, and a kind of like uh, 
restatement about family. I don't think this one has an ending like that. And so I think the better comparison is back to the future part two, um, Mm -hmm. where it's just like, we know there's going to be another one. We sent Marty off somewhere and we'll find out eventually. If you you had seen fast 10, Dan, you would have realized that. Okay. Or or Dune or the matrix. Reloaded. Dune Dune was a big one too. (laughs) Matrix reloaded. Um, Those are good comparisons. Yeah. Um, And I, I guess it's just sad to see like a, like, the first movie was so singular and, and, and its primacy was so clear and it had a really clear message to say it's, 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 it stinks a little bit to see this movie caught up in like the practices of, um, you know, this kind of studio stuff. I have no doubt that the third movie will Mm -hmm. redeem my feelings about this right now, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, there's that. And then I have some real problems about the motivations of the so-called villains in this uh, picture that um, I can get into in spoilers yeah. um, that really took me out of the movie and really soured me on um, a big part of it. Um, but I think that that feeling is going to be very unique to me, and I'm happy to discuss it when we get the spoilers. Got it. All right. Well, that's Dan Kavazin's overall thoughts on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Um, I wanted to give a actually minor summer movie wager update. Um, as we're recording this, we don't know how well this movie is going to do, but it does seem like it's going to do extremely well. Um, yep. I think they're Adventure, estimating I think had it highest on his I list. Had it right? pretty high. Yeah, yeah they're they're Fourth? estimating that it will do uh, you know up to like one hundred thirty. Five million dollars in its opening weekend could be more than that. We'll see. I talk about rewatchability too on this one. Yeah, I I will tell you that anecdotally, I went to go see uh, Fast Ten, Little Mermaid, and this movie at a local AMC theater on opening day. Like opening day, every every single one. That's quite a day of movies day (laughs) (laughs) on each of their respective opening days, (laughs) and. and this one out of those three was the most packed out yep. of out of those three. Same. same. Uh, didn't didn't do the same for Guardians because I saw a press screening for that. But um, I think I'm very yeah. curious about how this if this series can change Americans' habits regarding animated yes. films. Mm. Yes. Like it, for it to leap that much potentially, you know, from a, the first movie to the second movie, and maybe open people up to this. Like I have friends who are like day one MCU people who won't go see this because it's animated. And mm. I don't understand that. And I like, I'm really hoping that this kind of uh, media pressure can, can change some of those behaviors. I, I will say Peter Serretta put spider verse at, at number two, the right. highest oh, he did. And, he and did. right now, right now, as we're talking, that is within reach. For mm-hmm. Spider Verse, like we'll see, we'll see how well all the other movies do. I would but be like, really happy if this ended up being number one. That would screw my list, but this mm-hmm. is the movie I would love to see win the summer. Well, Devendra, yeah. hit us up with your thoughts on Across the Spider Verse. What do you think of this movie? Sure. I mean, guys, sometimes we have these experiences, right? Where you go to the theater, you're watching a movie, and you're like, "This is pretty good, right? This is pretty <laughs> nice." And then sometimes you have those experiences where, like, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And I look around and I look at the audience and I look at the, the the faces of the kids watching this stuff. And I think, how lucky are these kids to be living through this? 
I think this movie is a masterpiece. I and think sometimes you start screaming at those kids yeah. to their face. Appreciate you it. You don't know how lucky you are. And sometimes you don't you're, know. Sometimes you're ejected from the theater against your will. <laughs> and sometimes you can't go back to that AMC anymore. You the know? kids <laughs> these days it don't happens. know. Sometimes that happens. Okay. They don't know. But enough yeah. about Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Absolutely. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Divinity. But yeah, no, I, I think this movie um, is, is incredible. I think it's fantastic. I love the first one. I think this one is even better because it... It again shows what you can do with animation and it is a reminder to me. Um, certainly, I've always loved animation, but this is a reminder like you could do anything. You could do literally anything. It's only your imagination that is kind of holding you back in terms of storytelling. And this is a movie that just goes all the way. Like we've got multiverses. We've got people with really unique powers. We've got a really compelling core um, emotional story arc with Miles. But even before we get to Miles... We have more stuff with Gwen where we set up her timeline looking gorgeous, by the way, with a fully like watercolor world, just like something I again I've never seen before Earth in moving animation. Is, I want a whole movie there. It's just like beautiful. Yeah. Just beautiful stuff. Like it keeps pushing the limits of animation. And I think the limits of like how we think of narrative mediums too, because this is a movie that takes a lot of chances, but at the same time can slow down and give you intimate conversations between Miles and Gwen or Miles and his parents. And I think it also like the first movie was very much about like trying to find your place in the world. This one is very much about growing up and maybe drifting away from your parents and having the time to even engage with how the parents feel because the parents of a superhero be like, what the hell is going on with my kid? They're not going to school. Like they're lying to me. I know something is wrong. I found that all just really compelling and really dramatic. And at the same time, this movie just like is, is just every scene, even though this is a very long movie, feels like it is truly meaningful. You're going from great intimate uh, character scenes to tremendous action to some of the best action I've ever seen in a superhero movie because you can do it because it's animation. Um, yeah, I loved it. Um, shout out to everybody involved, especially Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, because again, everything I think, everything they touch is gold. Um, also, the uh, this is directed by three separate people. But specifically, Joaquim Dos Santos, who was the director and a producer on The Legend of Korra. Um, he also did that Voltron show on uh, on Netflix. I think like you can see the sensibilities he was doing in Korra there a lot in here, too, in the way animation and the way action is choreographed and executed and shot. This movie is fantastic. Like It is as close to perfect as I think a comic book movie can be. I cannot wait to watch it again. I just wish my daughter was like old enough to withstand some of the scarier bits. But we're going to get there. Like I cannot wait to share this movie with everybody. Loved it. I'm so glad you brought up uh, the theme of parenthood because mm -hmm. it really does seem that this trilogy of movies yeah. is going to be about that, um, like at, at the forefront. Um, but I'm sure we can talk about that later. Jeff Kanata. Your thoughts on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse are best summed up in the form of a limerick. A master class just how it looks. Side characters and common crooks. The film elevates and thus celebrates a lifetime spent with comic books. Oh, that's a, that's a sweet one, Jeff. That's nice. I agree with everything Devendra said. This is a masterpiece on every level. I think it improves on the first movie in every conceivable way. I think this is the best comic book movie ever made. I think it's maybe, I was trying to think if I if there's any animated movie that I like more than it. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't think I can come up with one. There are certainly wonderful, stellar animated movies, uh, movies I cherish, movies that have moved me, uh, movies I would put in the pantheon. I, this is such, this is an astonishing achievement to me. I don't know how you make this movie because every, yeah. there are so many ideas in it, so much complex, just sci-fi concepts that are, that seemingly effortlessly conveyed to the audience there visually like how do you even communicate i was talking to my animator friend uh, uh lana bashinsky who uh is on the dlc and and you know works in the video game industry as an animator and has for many years and she was like i don't even know how you storyboard this movie because you need to storyboard every moment. It, it is so dynamic. There are so many different visual styles shoved right next to mm -hmm. each other. The, the audacity of how this movie is just composed where individual characters will be in their own animation style right yeah. next to other characters who are in a completely different animation style. The first like, movie, Into the Spider-Verse. Like Miles Morales will be like in 3D space and then there'll be like a 2D Spider-Man yes. next to him in a different frame rate, basically. It's fighting a black and white character who's yeah. sort of hand-drawn. Like all of, it's just so audacious and brilliant and bold. And the first movie, Into the Spider-Verse, obviously introduced an entirely new visual style that, as Dan mentioned, has been... Uh, has turned into a trend, right? Uh, and that is, you know, animating on the twos, as they call it, or having that sort of syncopated visual style and using elements of uh, traditional, you know, two-dimensional comic book framed art, um, word bubbles, stuff like that. It, it used those, those, that visual shorthand to convey things that I don't think any movie had really attempted in that way. And it was bold and it was interesting. And this one just blows it out of the water like the you can't even compare how forward thinking and innovative this movie is compared to the first one in my opinion because like you know you were talking about Gwen's world where literally like there's a dialogue scene mm -hmm. and every shot the shot reverse shot of the me mediums and close-ups has a completely different background that is abstract and colorful and different than the last time we were in that same shot, but it conveys like an emotional reality to what we're ha what's happening. Like, and that's just one sliver of one tiny fraction of a, of a kind of place that we are. And this movie has dozens and dozens and dozens of different approaches to showing you things. Different characters exist in their own stylistic realities that butt up against one another, interact with one another seamlessly, effortlessly. It is so, just on a pure visual level, it's the most striking, thrilling, ex like exalting thing I've ever seen. I just am I'm completely overwhelmed by the visual language that this movie dares to express to a mainstream audience. Like this is absolutely unlike anything before it as far as i'm aware i was really I'm, entertained looking at the credits and the listing of the mm -hmm. artists that they were you know uh like credited as helping out and you've got like 
everybody from every era of comics that they yes. are thanking. Yes. And you can see it. I mean, like, uh, not to get too niche, but like, you know, Sienkiewicz's stuff, you know, like during the Gwen stuff, the, the abstract expressionalist oil paint, you know, I mean, you're right. It, it is a love letter to every comic ever made. Yes. And I, I'm glad you used that phrase. I was, I was planning to use that phrase as well because you have this sort of bold new interpretation of what animation can be. And as Devendra pointed out, the, the way the action sequences are composed and how people move and how every single thing feels like the coolest way a character could possibly do that. And then you have a layered on that is, is a filter of reverence to comic books and comic book storytelling. You have transitions between scenes that are literally like a comic, a real life comic book that existed dropping into frame and showing you like, these are comic books that I own, right? <laughs> these are referencing how, Hey, these characters come from a place, have a history, have a, they come from a tapestry of storytelling that we are honoring by bringing them into our world. And it's like, like I said in my, my limerick that as somebody who has spent my life loving comic books and investing in them, you know, it's, it's been such a wild experience seeing the MCU happen and seeing, you know, these things being elevated into the mainstream in such a profound and frankly, you know, overwhelming way. But this movie does it completely differently. It's saying like, look, we're not just plucking those characters out and, and, giving you their stories, we're actually kind of showing you that all of this time investment, all of the, all of the things that mattered to you also matter to us. All of the, the ways in which you read their stories, the, the time that you spent in that specific comic book, in that, in, in those eras and how those eras all related to one another. And the way this movie positions itself as part of a grander, you know, there's, they use the word canon in this movie, which, as you know, Dan, is almost a bad word or has been yeah. in the history of comic books, almost a yeah. bad word of like a limiting factor, a weight that is a burden on comic book creators. And this movie says, no, look, the, the, all of these things that are on the face of them, perhaps contradictory or, or even uh, at odds with one another have problematic... Uh, because one thing is too weird for another thing. Look, we can push them all together, make them part of a big family, and it all works. It all yeah, works. I would also argue, we will talk about this in spoilers, but there are, there are bad things about the canon. Like, sure. I, I like that too. I like that, that it keeps that in there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I don't know. I mean, I, I've been going on too long probably, but I, I am, when this movie ended, if they had started it immediately again, I would have stayed in my seat. I am absolutely not have no problem with how it ended. I couldn't believe as the music started swelling, mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't know, you know, it was going to end with a cliffhanger. As the music started swelling, I was like, oh my God, is this happening? Is this happening? And to me, the promise, the promise of more is so thrilling and exciting it, it, I mean, I can't wait to talk about spoilers because there's so much in this movie that just, Davinja, you said it so well, you know, you're in the theater and you're looking around and you're like, the last time this happened was with everything everywhere all at once, mm -hmm. which is funny because these are both movies about multiverses and, and multiple timelines. But 
you, you just go, there's sometimes when you're just aware that you are witnessing a work of utter genius and that is going to be with you forever and you're gonna revisit and you just like thrilled at the way people are able to bring something to life. And I, I walked out of there going like, go for it, AI. <laughs> Try to write that. <laughs> Try to create that. Like you can't. It, it, it like is so vibrant and original and bold and unprecedented. It just and also, also, also beautiful and heartfelt and simple and pure and grounded. And like there are moments with a family that made me well up and just feel felt so real and so and, and the representation is so effortless in this movie. And it just it just feels like one of the greatest things I've ever seen on a screen. It's just an amazing thing. I'll share a few of my thoughts, then I'd love for us to get the spoilers. Uh, basically echoing everything you... I don't know that I can say it better than Jeff. That was beautifully said. Um, I will just talk about, I think, the first 10 minutes of this movie I thought were really just extraordinary. Um, there's, like, just the way that the the first 10 minutes uses drums and is very, like comic book style in terms of the frames and all yep. this stuff and tells like a, it's, its own mini arc. And I wrote this in my letterbox review. I said, I didn't know the first 10 minutes of an animated movie could make me cry more than up. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are, you know, I thought the first, I found the first 10 minutes to be enormously moving and powerful and, uh, and just beautiful and just so inventive and creative. And I was just like, I've never seen animation used in this way before i've never seen so many bold swings just <laughs> on a minute by minute basis right like every yeah. minute they're trying something new they're throwing some new idea at you and the brain is barely keeping up the everything everywhere all at once comparison is really good because like similar experience with watching that movie where you're like wow like i caught a one second glimpse of this other universe and my mind is spinning and we're already on to the next thing and that's kind of what this experience of watching Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is like. Um, I think the movie is quite extraordinary and just, I think, probably the most beautiful animated film I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was just like, I don't, I don't think I've seen a more beautiful, watching these watercolors yeah. run down the screen, I'm like, I don't think I've seen a more beautiful I could make an argument for something is. like Akira, which is like, that's all mm. just hand-drawn. That's all like right. e yeah. done, but even this is just like aesthetically, yeah, yeah I think even you know, better. Certainly yeah. most innovative, you know, yeah. most audacious, right? Like uh, it doesn't even, maybe beautiful is the wrong word, but certainly I, I am willing to apply any number of superlatives to it. But, <laughs> but. Uh, the Dave Chen I, but. Well, I think it's <laughs> like, I don't, it really does feel like half a movie. This is such a bugaboo and, for you. I know that you well, don't like well, that. Well, it's, 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 okay. So with Fast 10, it's like, whatever, who gives a crap? Like, yeah. The, the adventure is interrupted, but the second half, it's probably going to be pretty similar to the first half. And I, you know, like it, it, they, they arbitrarily cut it off at a certain point, but it's not, but it's a, it's a silly, fun popcorn entertainment. Fast 10 is, right? Which is another movie that ended halfway that came out a few weeks ago. This is a movie that has something to say. You know, this is a movie that has a thesis or multiple theses about uh, uh, what makes us who we are, about parenthood, as you guys have said, about uh, fate, you know? And, and I how to make a sequel. And, and how to make a sequel, and right? How to make a sequel. And, and yeah. here's the thing. I don't know what it's saying until I see the whole story. Like, I, I don't know... 
I, I, I can guess. I have really educated guesses as to what it's going to say, but I don't think I will fully know what it's trying to say until I see the entire story. Fortunately, we don't need to wait that long. I think March of 2024 is when the next one's supposed to come out. Correct. And so, um, but it's hard for me to say, like, I loved what this movie was saying because on a big level, I don't know what it was saying because we haven't seen the ending. I don't know what it's saying or the way in which it will say it. But there have been so many highs that this movie delivers, even just without knowing the ending of, of this story. Um, so many things that I'm like, I can't believe I saw that executed in that way. One of the villains of this movie executed in that way, in a way that I've never seen before. Uh, love story executed in that way. You know, it's just like uh, so many of those uh, like wow, aha moments that despite this extremely large gap in what I think the movie is like uh, of knowledge of what the movie is. I still think it's extraordinary. So uh, I'll just say one, one other thing and, uh, and then uh, we can get the spoilers, which is I'm impressed with how much of the first movie, this movie throughout. And what I mean by that is like, I'll give you an example, like the musical score of the first movie. Incredible. Like they reference it in this movie, but most of the music is like its own new creation. It's like they're, they're forging into new territory. And Daniel they Pemberton, like, man, yeah, what a guy. They, they could have referred back to it a lot more because it's mm -hmm. like it's like going back to the Superman theme in Superman Two after you've done it. But it's like nope, they're doing completely brand new. Th they could have leaned on more on what they did before, but they didn't. Yeah. They just kept going in new yeah. directions. And also well, that's how the, I feel about the visuals too. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. The yeah. actual yeah. musical choices too, not just the score, but uh, they worked with, uh, was it Metro Boomin? Did a bunch of tracks. Like there's a whole, you could go look at that on Spotify right now. Just like, these are all like things created for this movie. And it's like, it's a ton of tracks. It's uh, 13 different songs. Yeah. It's just incredible. Keeps the vibe up. Yeah. One of the yeah. things I was most disappointed with in my experience of seeing this movie, I went to a press screening and this is not usually the case or hasn't been my case before I moved to Colorado, but um, they put us in a movie theater and the audio was not great. And I think this, I was like, I was oh, man. sitting there going, oh my God, no. I need to go see this in the movie theater again. And I need to see it in Dolby. I need to see it. Yeah. cranked up because Still, I want the or, or IMAX, you know, that will be, yeah. I want the yeah. audio to surround yeah. me in this movie because it, it was kind of, I could just feel it coming from the front and it was kind mm. of low. And I just wanted to be enveloped in like when the drumming happens at the beginning and there's moments where Miles, Miles starts swinging through the city and his music comes on. And it's like every character has their own audio style as well as visual style. And it's, it, it is such a huge part of what makes this movie special is the, the audio side of it yeah, that I, I would urge people to go see this movie in the best theater they can on the biggest screen with the best audio they possibly can. I want to add on to something else you said, Jeff, unrelated topic um, about the way this movie reveres comic books. And it, it's almost like what this movie does, I think is acknowledge the history of comic, uh, comic books, but it's like all like it rewards the paying attention and the, the fandom and all that stuff. But it's like, these are characters that all have their own life. Like they're all living mm. their own lives. Like we yeah. just stumbled upon them at this point, but like there's a rich history that you're only getting a tiny glimpse of yeah. 
here and you're we're fortunate to get that glimpse but it's like yeah they're, they're, it's not just like hey uh like we we just introduced venom to you and thank us you know it's like <laughs> it's like no like there's a rich history here that we're drawing from and like you yeah. get to be part of it now by watching this movie but like know that this is all this is all happening for years and now you're just entering into the story now Right. Um, it's rare for movies to do that. So, well, how far we've come because like a remember when the first guardians of the galaxy came out, the like tagline for that was you're welcome, you know, <laughs> like, and it's like, man, like guardians of the galaxy is nowhere near as obscure as like 90% of the things that show up in this. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's, I, let's, let's get to this. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate that. You say that it's fortunate to get a glimpse into this because anytime I've ever talked about any of this stuff, people run. So, uh, yeah. you know, this is your now, day. To now shine. people are paying tickets. I should just go sit in a theater and just answer yeah. questions. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I did. I did say to Dave uh, before we recorded, yeah. uh, thank God we have Dan Gavazin on our show. There is no more. I walked out of this going, we got Dan. We got Dan on the show. This is like, I feel like this is. Yeah, this is, uh, you know. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's like looking at an encyclopedia on the screen and you're like, yeah. you know, I just need somebody to read it to me. <laughs> let's, let's get the spoilers for uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Obviously, Dan Gavosden from The Amazing Spider Talk, one of the best things about watching a movie like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is all the obscure references. Now, you're making an article for Hollywood Reporter where you're going to list them all. Uh, so I'm, I don't expect you to like recount them all here. No, but maybe all give of us, them. Just list them all. Maybe, <laughs> maybe are there a few favorites, like one, two, or three favorites that you're like, oh, I can't believe they referred to that one in this movie. Uh, sure. I, I, I can, I can pull a couple out. Um, you know, uh, leaning into, uh, uh, the world of like video games, uh, I was really pleased. There's kind of a, a twofold Easter egg with yeah. this in Miles's room on the wall. You can see a poster for, uh, a like pro skater game in the vein of Tony Hawk's pro skater and fans of Tony Hawk's pro skater two will know that an Easter egg in that game <laughs> was that you could play as Spider-Man mm -hmm. and the company Neversoft that made that game would go on to make in the year 2000. I think one of the best Spider-Man video games um, for their platform. And not only is there that little tease on the wall of his bedroom, but in you know, the spider society, you can see the PS one model of the Neversoft Spider-Man running around and doing all the things the spider people do. So, you know, I, I, I thought that was like a fun in the, pull in the uncle Ben's, all the uncle Ben's moments. Isn't there the Dreamcast uncle Ben moment? Mm. I, I, maybe I didn't see that again. I, there's, I'm going to have to see this a million times. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause to, there's to so many off. references to all yeah. the different ones. I think on there's the, a, when there's you a see, polygonal yeah. uncle Ben thing that happens in the uncle Ben moments. And I think it's from the dreamcast wow. Spider-Man game. Wow. Amazing pull Which, Jeff. Amazing. Well, wow. an amazing pull for the filmmakers. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. there is a character, uh, that shows up in this film called typeface. Um, who I've been making fun of on my show for, for decades, or I guess a decade, my show's like 10 years old, um, who is, he's like a Spider-Man villain, right? Yeah. Typeface. He, he showed up in this run in like the uh, late nineties, early two thousands, uh, written by this guy, Paul Jenkins. 
and it's a really great run of Spider-Man comics. But the one comic that people like to dump on in that run is this one about this villain typeface who is literally a guy who has different font choice letters glued all over his body. (laughs) And he's never appeared ever again. And here he shows up in like spider jail and, and it's like, who, you know, like uh, now that he's been in a movie next up is Stegron, the dinosaur man, like, like, you know, like, like what, what, like what's next, you know? Um, I mean, I would say you're going to hell Vedica, I think is what he said. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Like they gave him a line. They gave him a line, (laughs) you know? So, um, like that, I thought that was, uh, pretty insane um there's also um a uh character they like pan across all these villains like there's a mysterio who is like the mysterio from the <laughs> spider ham universe but um there was also like the green goblin from the atari video game was in there yeah and awesome. um, a bunch of atari stuff yeah yeah there's a character named video man who looks like he's an atari character but he's actually a villain from uh the cartoon show from the 80s called spider-man and his amazing friends and he's a character that's created by electro in a video game that spider-man and iceman and firestar are sucked into and it's and he and and that's it that that's where he's from you know uh there's so many things here that are just like incredibly obscure there's a character named the grizzly that shows up he's kind of like a d-list spider-man villain he's just a dude in a bear suit (laughs) <laughs> and he's in jail too, you know. Um, they definitely made a list of like who are the lamest Spider-Man villains that we could just toss in there yeah. for like longtime Spider-Man fans. Wow. Um, thank, well, thank you for the yeah. list, Dan. I, so, so talking about the end of this movie, um, I, I have to say, literally, I need to caveat anything I say about this movie because I don't know whether the uh, the complaints I have will be addressed in the next, you know, it really does feel I like th- half the movie. I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I think, like, I-, I was a little bit disappointed because the movie opens, as I mentioned, with this beautiful section with Gwen, like Spider-Gwen and, like, that whole thing and the idea of, like, oh, there's only one other person out there that understands what I've been through. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, and I can't see them or it's hard to see. And it's, like, it's such a beautiful idea. And I thought... I thought that was what the movie was going to be. I thought it was going to be about like, oh, finding this kind of kinship um, with other people that have been through what you've been through. Now, it is about that in some ways, uh, but really quickly, the movie scope kind of explodes, in my opinion. It like goes into this big thing about like, it's about canon and like, uh, and how we need to like adhere to canon lest we destabilize the universe, right? That's kind of- Well, I think it's, you know, I think- tonally you know on a macro level it's bad things have to happen sometimes yeah yeah Mm -hmm. sure you know sure and i think that that's that's the hard thing for our characters to learn is that uncle ben's have to die you know people in your life have to die people you know captain stacy's have to die the, the the there are bad just things. Don't that, become a captain. Don't become don't, a captain. Never <laughs> yeah, take the promotion. Yeah. Just don't take the promotion. Work around well, it. Again, I, I I don't know Jeff because I have a feeling he's going to like Miles is going to try to present prevent his dad from dying and and it's like is he going to succeed or is he going to fail and learn a valuable lesson? We don't know. We don't know. Uh, well, this so, is where think, my my problem with the film really comes mm-hmm. in, into focus. Is um, you know. In this film, you have every Spider-Man except for Miles Morales 
who they do a great job of setting up like how he's a deviant, you know, like yeah. he is the he shouldn't be. person that never should have been Spider-Man. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that's a brilliant follow through on the original film that had the 42 spider fritzing mm. out like it was from another dimension in that mm. movie. Yeah. Um, but that every single Spider-Man is an agent of destiny and is, and is ostensibly like signed up with reinforcing the status quo right in the face of people dying to me strikes really mm. wrong for the character. I just don't believe that that is who Spider-Man is as a character. Um, like, and people criticize the amazing Spider-Man movies for, being about destiny and predestination and only Peter Parker could be fated for right. this role. The Andrew Garfield ones, right? Which who, by yeah. the way shows up in this movie as well. Right. But yeah. Right. But like this movie, like not just doubles down on that. It like a thousand fold, like infinitely doubles down on that, which is like everyone yeah. was fated to be Spider-Man. Yeah. And, um, and not only that, but they are willing to let people die uh, to maintain that. And mm. I, that just like, like I can see how it works for the movie to elevate miles mm -hmm. in, in that way. And that they're likely going to subvert that again. Yeah. I, we don't know. Yeah, We don't know. Like I we, think, we also um, see, we see not, disagreement within not, not the to be, group. Right. Not to be a dick yeah. and a broken record, but it's very possible. The next movie is going to be like, they're all wrong. They shouldn't be doing that. Like, I, I mean, right. that, you know? that seems to be the setup for yeah. the thing because um, I think Daniel Kaluuya's character who, by the way, fantastic, awesome. uh, Hobie. Yeah, amazing. Love character. the way he's animated. Love, yeah. love how that he Incredible. is like against the system while also so being a part of this. Funny. Club. So <laughs> funny, so funny. So funny. Every that line. character doesn't even really have like a stake in it. He's just an anti-authoritarian. So whichever yeah, the way he, the wind blows, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. willing to change his opinion. But he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's a motivating force because he gets Miles. He helps Miles kind of get out of the thing that yeah. he's trapped in initially too. So there's all that. I'm really intrigued by Oscar Isaac's character because I think he presents a very compelling argument. It's like, hey. Listen, like we see how the fabric of our universes work and these things kind of have to happen. Otherwise, everything goes goes bad. And that he is so like devoted and uh, kind of like a fundamentalist when it comes to, comes to that stuff. I'm very intrigued to see like what they're going to do here. I also don't know much about his Spider-Man. Like what what's up with him being a vampire? They kind yeah, of show that. He is a vampire. Yes. Yeah. Mm. He's a straight up vampire. He's injecting blood I like mean, blade no, or something. Not. He uh he his DNA is like uh uh tied up in spider DNA because he mm -hmm. was addicted to a drug called Rapture. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just weird Go like one moment you we can see read him, like, my bear. article if you yeah. want. But, we yeah. see him bare fangs like early on in one of the scenes I'm like what mm. is what is happening here? Like this is this blade territory. Yeah, yeah. you see him get injected with something, yeah. and that yeah. that's like a drug that he's addicted to called mm. rapture. Um, but um, and to to back to the topic, like like I understand that they're looking to subvert it. I just mm -hmm. don't believe that. Like, and look, my my life is too caught up in the character of <laughs> Peter B. Parker. Like, I really relate to that character from the previous movie, but to see that character who was willing to give his life to, to save the other spider mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. at the end of into the spider verse until miles stepped in and, and proved himself worthy here, just kind of going along with this, like reinforcing the status quo, which is like Spider-Man is not a status quo character, right? Like he is like a vi the vigilante of all vigilantes. He's a teenager, which was really like unusual for, um, the comics at the time to, to star a teenager he's hated by the press like and if you read the first 30 issues of spider-man he's an asshole he is not like he's not a nice person you know 
and like to see the character like of, of Peter B. Parker go along with this enough to like lie and be withholding Spider Gwen too, to who is a punk rock character to be withholding from Miles felt really to me kind of icky and like I know that those characters are going to go on an arc but it felt really regressive for each and all of those characters interesting fair interesting. that's fair uh I, I felt the storytelling kind of spin a little bit out of control like well towards towards the end of the movie there's supposed to be this big moment when yeah. Miles is like you guys knew that I was a Spider-Man deviant or whatever and you didn't tell and it's like did the is the idea that Spider Gwen, I, like I thought, like Spider Gwen and Peter Parker coming into the Citadel of Spider Man was a relatively like recent development, um, and so it just felt like there's it, like one of the emotional climaxes of the, the movie is supposed to be like Miles realizing that like what his true origin is, and then being disappointed at his friends that they didn't tell him, and it's like you just re-met Peter Parker like 10 minutes ago. Like when, when was he supposed to tell you, you know, and spite you hung out with spider Gwen for like an hour. Like, well, that, I think that, the that idea is that they had me. access to get into his world. And if they were really his friends, they could have, they could have yeah. warned him or something. Like, I think yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. Fair, well, fair enough. But yeah, I, mean, there's, I think there's yeah. lines even before, you know, Jess drew says, mm-hmm. you know, oh, he doesn't know, or you haven't told him or something like that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fair, think that's it's all fair. set up. They've been where, gone for a year. Like yeah. it, it's yeah. explicit that a, at least a year has passed since yeah, like the a year previous and four movie, you yeah. know, I, all of that rung true to me that like, I, I think the first half of this movie is maybe my favorite first half of a Spider-Man movie. Like the, the, the star that I didn't expect to like fall in love with Rio Morales, uh, every scene with that character talking to her son I was know, just like so tears yeah. for me, you know, yeah. just Beautiful, Beautiful or even the little moments like when after the fight with the spot where Miles is like pretending to be Spider-Man or like a- around his father and putting on the voice and the camera lingers on the tarp blowing over so the good. structure is just Ugh. so beautiful. Like I, like I, I would love to see a Miles movie without the Spider-Verse attachment, you know, <laughs> like t- to yeah. it. Like those characters are so rich, but, you know, I'm willing to go along with it because they didn't forget about those characters. They are still like an emotional core to the film. What did you think of the spot as a villain? I thought it was incredibly realized as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff, go ahead. Hit, hit us well, up with your thoughts. I've sort of had a pet love of spot as a, as a villain for a long time. I think it's such a, you know, it's such a fun notion of having these portal. And like, I never thought that would show up in this movie and the way it happens. First of all, the fact that his origin story is the moment we all remember from the first movie with the bagel hitting the guy in the head. Everybody remembers that because it's hilarious. And the fact that they plucked that out yeah, and made that yeah. the origin Brilliant. is Amazing. so genius. Love it. Love it. So genius. Yeah. Um, but I love how he we start with him. You know, he's the big bad, ostensibly, in this movie. Uh, and we start with him in the most ridiculous, inept, goofy mm-hmm ineffectual moment, you know, trying to steal the ATM machine. And it's a really wonderfully realized comedic sequence and how we play that against him having to be at his, you know, principal meeting and the, you know, through the window, we see the portals happen. All that stuff is just expertly done. And it belies the fact that this character is going to go on to be, you know, this huge, 
impediment to our story. And I just, I love that arc for that character of, Hey, I'm not a monster of the week. I'm not, you know, small potatoes. I really am your nemesis. And yeah. to take, you know, just as they've done with all the spider, the obscure spider characters, taking this very mundane, very throwaway villain and elevating them to, you know, big bad status. I just, I just thought it was a masterstroke yeah. and so unexpected and and fun and subverting expectations. I it also it mirrors Miles in a great way too because like Miles is the person who shouldn't be Spider Man. Like everyone's right. telling him that now too, mm -hmm. and they're both like this is a self actualization that they're both like on a journey towards, and one leads to being a supervillain, and the other leads to being like the the real Spider Man. Um, I love that. I love when a villain is a great foil to the yeah. hero. Yeah. Dan Kavazan, I feel like uh, the Spot's origin story is very characteristic of spider villains. Is that right? Where basically some, like Spider-Man doing a hero thing accidentally does something else <laughs> that makes this person have awful powers. Is that yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's really accurate. I'll yeah. add on to that too. It It's usually about someone like gaining power through science and choosing to misuse it. Mm -hmm. in some way yeah um you know uh that i think it's brilliantly done in like spider-man 2 where you've got like you know that peter interacting with like dr octopus or, or otto octavius who is a mentor figure and goes through a very similar transformation and yet you know they water it down by giving him be mind controlled in that movie but like ostensibly it's you know or, or norman osborne right a, a scientist who gains power and uses it improperly. Um, yeah. uh, and so I think the spot is a really fitting villain here. I wish he was threaded through the whole movie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, and he we does kind of vanish for like the second act basically. Yeah. I yeah. mean the, the threat of it seems very much replaced by the threat of the spider people. Yes. Um, you know, in the second half of the movie. And again, it's why it to me feels very incomplete. Like yeah. uh, th that is a lingering note um uh on the ending uh there a few things i just want to acknowledge real quick uh like that, that are things i love we haven't talked about mumbatan i think it is uh south south asian manhattan or south yeah, south yeah. Asian, which is like incredible it just like looks so cool looks you know? so cool the so, cool. so good love that character yeah oh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that, that whole stuff sequence of of him like being like oh you two are into each other aren't you and they're <laughs> <Yeah>. fighting crime <laughs> the and, romantic and tension yeah. yeah so great it's yeah, so fun love that um, I had a really amazing, like, aha moment. Like, the movie has lots of, like, wow, I can't believe I just saw that. But there was, like, some really classic good storytelling because the whole time they're building up to, is Miles going to tell his parents that he's Spider-Man? And yeah. so you're, like, yeah. waiting for it to happen. And then there's the fake out with Spider-Gwen outside the room and you think she's listening down the conversation, but it's, so she's in a whole other universe. Um, very, like... Silence of the Lambs, like cutting between these two things that aren't really in the same place. And it's so uh, brilliant that he was sent to the, she took the DNA from the spider thing and sent him to the wrong, the dimension yeah, it's, from it's, which. It's, the, it's all set up. It's all, like, they tell you, they tell you everything. They tell, they, they, they're like, we're going to do this thing. And then they do it and it surprises you. You know, that's so good. Yeah, they even so show good. it on the screen. Like yeah, they on show the, the wristwatch, it says Earth 42. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, you know oh, okay. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you're like, at that point, you haven't been keeping track of all the Earths necessarily. Uh, and then when he reveals it and she's like, what are you talking about? That's like a, that's like an amazing, holy, it's like Marty McFly waking yeah. up at the top of Biff's tower. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it's like amazing 
just amazing cinematic moment that I uh, really like. Totally. I think um, that whole sequence with like the Uncle Aaron coming back in yeah. is like chilling and yes. amazing. Amazing. Yeah. The only reason it doesn't work for me is the at the end is the movie opens with Miles, you know, kind of telling his story to the audience, right? Mimicking how the first movie opened with Peter saying like, you know, I'm the one and only Spider-Man and you know, there's a popsicle, there's a you know, a serial and all of that stuff. And the end of the first movie has this really powerful monologue of, of miles coming to the realization of anyone can, can wear the mask. You can wear the mask, you know, and it's, it's a beautiful thematic bow that's tied on that movie. And here we get a similar moment. It's miles running in the rain, you know, away having abandoned the spider people, which I also felt was kind of a repeat, like two movies ending on a train where Miles uses his venom blast to defeat the bad guy. But whatever, thematically, you know, loop, he's running in the rain. There's a real opportunity there, I think, for him to reflect on the journey again. Like, you know, anyone can wear the mask. And maybe that's not a good thing, you know, or whatever that moment is that could have tied up a thematic statement for this movie. They kind of ignore it in in lieu of a cliffhanger. And I feel like you could have done both to at least let this movie have its own consistent Mm -hmm. statement to take away. And instead, I feel like, yeah, it's just half of a movie, like David's been saying. Mm-hmm. It, it really feels like The Matrix Reloaded, honestly. Can you, like, yep. take your telescope back to Matrix I'm right back there. Right, That's right. Yeah. I remember. Think, yeah. think, like, Matrix 1, masterpiece, right? Yep. Ends, like, with a nice bow. Then, Matrix Reloaded, you're like, oh, Neo's going to get them all out. Like, that's kind of what you fell at the end of Matrix. Matrix Reloaded begins, like, guess what, by the way? You know, Neo was just part of another system of control, you know? And then, then Matrix 3 does some interesting things with that idea. Uh, people can argue about whether or not it was satisfying, but I am really curious. I'm mm-hmm. ex- I, I don't think I've looked forward to the ending of a movie more than this one of like, I really want to know what, yeah. what is the movie trying to say but about I, I, fate and, and, and mm-hmm. systems of control and those kinds of things. Cause I don't think we know yet. I don't think I we mean, know. It, this is a dumb conversation. Like it will only <laughs> exist like this for a yes. year of yes. right. or less. Like, than in, yes. in, a, you know? in a year, we'll look back on this and be like, remember when we thought that that was a bad idea? You know, I like, mean, I mean, this movie proves that we can have a little faith in in these yeah. in these yeah. writers, it's and true. These creators, it's this true. The thing. Yeah. But I will, I distinctly remember the end of Reloaded being in the theater and also being in an audience that was definitely confused by everything that was happening <laughs> right. in the movie. But being just like you have the guy, the guy Smith in the real world, I guess, cut to black. I look around, <laughs> everyone's confused. Yeah. Whereas with this movie, I look around, I was like everyone's like, oh my god, I cannot. <laughs> I need more right. of this it's in true. my life. It's true. Yeah. So Davindra points out something very, very accurate, I think, Dan, which is that I agree it's half a movie and so it's half of yeah. the ideas, but it does send people out of the theater being like, wow, like what's the next part as opposed yeah. to what? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think, um, yeah. you know, maybe the better comparison is the two towers. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, did you feel... Short trip. I know it doesn't end quite as. Uh, we we kind of um, knew that was like we knew that was a whole trilogy setup. Whereas I think a yeah. lot of people did not realize. But I how, also think much, those yeah. Yeah. those movies have inherent thematic statements. Yes. Like yeah. the end of Fellowship yeah. is like about the breaking of the Fellowship, and it yes, it's like the end of Empire, where like you know they're looking over the galaxy. Frodo yeah. and Sam are looking over Mordor. You know, well, at like, the end of Two Towers, Sam gives that beautiful speech mm-hmm. about you know, doing good in the face of evil and, you know, and, and so, yeah, it, it does feel more thematically complete. Two Towers feels more <laughs> thematically complete than this movie does, I think. So, um, but anyway, any, 
Other closing. We, we've talked. We didn't talk about them. any specific sequence, but I just want to say the whole breakout from the like spider organization oh. jail. Just like. <laughs> All the stuff happening. Yeah. You got the dino, the T Rex, Spider Man, and then you go out and you're in just like you're in Blade Runner world, Blade Runner <laughs> future, and then you're in a rocket ship. They're going to the moon. And it's just like all these things. It's I'm like, man, so many ideas, yeah. so many ideas. I love so the beautiful. Guggenheim sequence that yep. it was like spiraling around the stairs of the Guggenheim, and then mm-hmm. you've got the Vulture Leonardo da Vinci thing, so which doesn't exist prior to this. That's not a reference. And uh, it's like rebuilding itself using schematics while it's got, I mean, mm-hmm. what a cool idea. I mean, incredible. I get, yeah. I, like if I sound negative about this, it's only because I think the first one is an utter masterpiece yeah. and, and I have to like distinguish between the two in my mind in some way, you know, but like every second of this is just full of so much joy. Like we haven't mentioned that Donald Glover shows up as the mm-hmm. prowler here. Like there's Wild. just so, the, so many things, all of yeah. the live action sequences. I mean, Andrew yeah. Garfield yeah. is, is yeah. In the, like it, it, it actually as an animated movie fits itself into the larger MCU in a way. It's like, it's part of everything. Yeah. The moment I clap though is, is Lego movie. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it like yes. I was like, yeah, they're going there. It's and, all connected. And as an Easter egg, that Daily Bugle is a, is a real set, and it's yeah. built exactly the same way in the movie. You can buy I know, it. you know. And um, the only one that made me go, uh, like I like the executives are mucking around in this is the Venom one. You know, it's mm. like oh, we gotta yeah. get the Venom one in, and maybe yeah. it's just because we don't love those movies. You know, even see the same where, way. where was Venom? Was it was he in the the, jail? Uh, the the East Asian shopkeeper, right? That's uh, the one. Is that yeah, the one you're referring and, to? Yeah. But also, like, what okay. does Venom have to do with this? You know, yeah. like it, yeah. it just felt like, and I was waiting for it because you, you don't get to make a you, know, you make into the Spider Verse quietly at Sony. You win an Oscar, suddenly the executives come around. And they I don't know. That one person. I love that yeah. it just connects itself to everything. It connects mm-hmm. itself to everything. And yeah. I, I, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, uh, Venom shows. It, you have to I be. Mean, you have if to any know movie that deserves movie. a crazy Tom Hardy, though, like that would have been <laughs> kind yeah. of icing on the cake if he does it. I, I, just, I, I just feel yeah. like it's not Spider Man. Like Venom has its own thing mm-hmm. now. Yeah. It's not Spider Man related. It felt like we got yeah. we got to create Sony synergy. You yeah. know, um, I was impressed at the video game tie. Like the, the, yeah, there's yeah. the Insomniac version of Spider. The idea is that like yeah. the video game version exists in his own universe. That's that's yeah, now. Did canon. you see uh, Genki's yeah. playing the yeah, Spider-Man he's playing game? Spider-Man, yeah. which is like I don't even understand how that works. You know, I, <laughs> I think <laughs> if you look really closely, and I could be wrong about this, it's not actually a man that he's playing as. It's a man-sized spider. So it's a like no 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 no. It's it's the Spider-Man with the arms coming out of it's one of the suits you can get in the spider-man game. I, I think that was yeah. my first impression was that oh. that is that what what it was but i think looking closer at it i think it's actually a spider okay in, in the game <laughs> all right that'd a be joke. a level of I, I could be wrong I'm, I could talking, be like, I'm talking to an expert so i i, will stand I, I could down. i could be wrong yeah. i'm just I, but like that was my impression was yeah. that I wanna, it was the game but jokingly replaced with a spider all right i want to ask you something else dan because before we got into the spoiler section you mentioned that Into the Spider-Verse is obliquely or directly responsible for you having the gumption to be a dad. And I thought that that's what Peter says too. Yeah. He that's does. pretty amazing, right? Peter literally explicitly says what you said, which is mm-hmm. the my experience <laughs> in the last movie. The previous movie. <laughs> yeah. So, it's it's um it was really moving in the theater to hear that 
line, it wasn't unsurprising to me because that is the plot of that movie, you know, like, um, and whether I needed to hear it from literally Peter Parker <laughs> to make my decision or, or not, like, I think the themes of that movie got me there, Yeah. but yeah. seeing it reflected in this way was moving and to see like May or Mayday in this movie at this, basically the same age as my son is now was really emotionally, um, powerful. Yeah. I, I think the only thing that kept me fully from embracing it is just what I mentioned earlier, seeing Peter Parker betray miles in that way. Mm. And the, the depiction of that character being an agent of the status quo, uh, as I, as I put it. And yeah. It's, it's like that scene from man of steel when Kevin Costner is like, let me die Superman. You know, that's kind of like, <laughs> how dare you reference that the- scene? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about good movie. <laughs> it, it, um, I, I wanted to fully embrace that, but the more powerful moment is look, I think when he returns home and uh, Mary Jane is with him and, you know, you see the image of aunt may on the wall who in his universe had passed away. Um, so you've got this young girl that's surrounded by, the two kind of like women in, in, in her life, you know, Aunt May on the wall and Mary Jane and Peter is like looking down into the crib and he says to her, like, you know, do I like, I forget the exact line, but he's like, do I have it in me to do this? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, he's still questioning himself for sure. Um, and you know, she reassures him and, and, you know, any parent asks themselves that all the time. Um, there's a fun little, uh, Easter egg in that scene too, where, the stuffed animals that are next to may in in the crib are the two villains that he beat in the previous movie. It is a green goblin and a octopus, uh, uh, a plushie, but, um, it's really, really traumatizing this child. The whole thing with the baby, like <laughs> during the adventure, I was like yeah. the parent yeah. on the playground be like, I don't know if that's responsible. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, I don't maybe know. Shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the character is reduced a bit to a joke in the movie, um, rather than being like a fully fleshed out character. He was in the, previous film mm-hmm. he you know he is kind of the new dad that wants to show the picture to everybody as i do the same thing you know with, with my son so uh, i appreciated it and it was touching and i i'm i'm eager to see where that character's arc resolves i i was pleased that he was the first one to kind of support miles during the chase and watching him fly using his robe was particularly pleasant <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff. It was, you know, that coupled with the stuff with Jefferson and Rio Morales, where it's, you know, you've got a character that is, um, worrying about being strong enough for this young, young child. And then you've got characters that are on the opposite end of the parent spectrum, which are, how do we are like, are we able to let go of a child that maybe doesn't need us, uh, in the same way anymore? I thought that was really beautiful um, in terms of showing parenthood. <laughs> and and, um, and then you also have uh, Gwen and her dad's relationship with him sort of, you know, also worrying about her and, and coming to terms with her lying to him. Like all that stuff was really powerful to me about him understanding that, you know, his first reaction is you've been lying to me this whole time. Like that, that was so powerful. Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also, didn't keep, quite keep understand up... the reversal there where he mm-hmm. is like, I'm reading you your Miranda rights. But then when he sees her again, he seems to have relinquished his role as a police officer. I wish we had more uh, an insight into yeah. what that journey was like for him. Mm. 
But, um, you know, the it's such a beautiful looking movie that you're like, whatever. I, Even the whole know. scene, like he fires a gun in the air. It's just like very, it's a very like strange place to leave Gwen. I want to point out, by the way, speaking of parentage, like there, there's, there's a character who's pregnant in this movie and yeah. is in the middle of the action. And again, something we never really see. So this movie is really like doing right by parents, I guess, in that theme of parenthood. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, those are some thoughts on the first half of this movie. And we will find out in like nine months or so whether or not we were right. <laughs> it's so funny to me, Dave, because I feel like you were not this harsh on Dune. And that's yeah, what and my Dune whole was position. Like, we, that second movie wasn't even made. We wasn't, didn't know we it was even... going to be made. <laughs> yes. And I, yeah. that's what my I, position on Dune was, is like, yeah. this is only half a movie. How can I even judge it? And I don't think you had that issue with it at all. So why I, are you so lenient, Jeff? Because yeah. I, no, I <laughs> think kidding. this movie... I think this movie is more complete than Dune Part One. No, oh, I, I completely uh, agree with you. But yes, well, okay. I mean, y- y- here's 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 my takeaway, Jeff. Is I should have gone way harder on Dune. That's kind <laughs> of the, that's that's my take. It's like you're right. Now that you mention it, Jeff, I should have been. I mean, more, we, we devoted a whole and, part and of that say, review. Let me to just that. say, you, you say I've been hard, harsh on this movie. I don't. I, I feel like I'm just making. No, I don't. <laughs> I was watching, I, you're harsh on that point, is what I mean to say. Mm-hmm. You're harsh. On I was that watching. Point. I was watching this movie, uh, The Guard. Have you seen The Guard? That's great. Uh, Great movie, great movie with yeah. uh, Brendan Gleeson, and um, there's a there's a moment when like this character walks in and starts talking to him, and he says, "Are you going to just keep making a series of declarative statements, or are you going <laughs> to are you going to say something?" Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, Jeff, I just feel all I feel like I'm doing is making a series of declarative statements about <laughs> what's going on in this movie. That's all. I, I don't. I'm not like uh, being exclamatory or you know. I, harsh I think or it's anything. more like, well, yeah. given what they have given us in this yes. movie, it's like. I, I think you will. They will probably bring this. One They'll probably the stick the landing. I hope. They'll I probably hope. stick the landing. So anyway, I mean, honestly, I agree with that, and I can't wait for more. Mm-hmm. But when I left the theater in Dune, I'm like, what do I even make of this? This isn't. This isn't a f- complete thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like that's the experience you had yes. with this movie. And I Absolutely. that is not my experience with this movie. Is okay. I I feel like there's so much in it. Yes, there's a lot unresolved and there are things that we don't know how they're going to go but i felt like there's so much to take away from this already that felt emotionally satisfying uh you know it just thrilling on a visceral level. like there's so much to it that i did not feel like it was just half a half a thing mm-hmm. fair enough fair enough i you know i think i don't know where the movie is going to stand on its central thesis but I agree that there's a lot to take away that doesn't rely on that. So at the end of the day, it's really impressive that Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson made a movie. And Phil Lord and Chris Miller and everybody. Everybody. Indeed. Like an everybody. animated movie requires a huge team. More, village. As much as the live action, but I think a ton. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to bring us into this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of uh, Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen, with video assistance provided by Kurt Mega and John Barry. Uh, Dan Kvaz and I want to say thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It. Yeah, I'm going to go write up 40 more Easter eggs. <laughs> <Wonderful>. <laughs> I, this was so much fun. I look forward to this every time a movie comes out. Indeed. Uh, we'll have to have you back on for uh, Beyond the Spider-Verse when it comes out in March Looking forward to it, yeah. Um, and next week on the podcast, I mean, I want to give you guys a little bit of insight. Um, for the longest time on the Filmcast show notes, for next week's date, it was 
Transformers Rise of the Beasts or Strays, uh, which is the movie that we're planning on reviewing. And then people basically were like, let's do Strays. We're, we're going to do Strays. Like, Strays is going to be the movie. No, we're not reviewing I was like, enough Transformers. Yes. We tried no this in my life. We, we, we tried yeah. so hard not to do Transformers. Yes, we tried, we tried. so hard not to do Transformers. And so we're like, okay, uh, let's do, we're, we're planning to do Strays, that new movie, our rated comedy coming out this uh, summer. Uh, and uh, I, I asked everyone, hey, let's just check. Make sure Strays is playing in a local theater. Turns out they pushed it back by two months. It is now coming out in August. Man. So it's going to be Transformers Rise of the yeah, Beast, guys. The strays. That's what's what Has there been see. any advertising for Strays? Like, There's I, been like, a ton. Yeah. I have not seen any of <laughs> The it. trailers yeah. have been everywhere. Um, that Conan O'Brien podcast I keep talking about like, is yeah. sponsored by it. Like, it's, it's a whole thing. Another movie produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, by yeah, the way. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, how, so, it's, it's how the Transformers get us, man. It's how we yeah. so find a way. We're going to be back for Transformers Rise of the Beasts. And, and may Rise... God have mercy on our souls. <laughs> <laughs> Rise, they shall. May God have mercy on our souls. See you next week. Goodbye.